My guest today served as the staff writer and editor of The Weekender. For those of you who don't know, The Weekender back in the day was the Bible when it came to arts and entertainment in northeastern Pennsylvania. This one was an interesting one. Most of my previous Weekender guests have had very fond memories of The Weekender. That was not the case here, and he does not hold back. You'll hear about the beginning of the end of The Weekender, you know, poor ownership, poor management, poor decisions. But it's not all bad as it inspired him to launch his own award-winning online publication known as NEPA Scene. And NEPA Scene has surpassed The Weekender by leaps and bounds. This is The Weekender Files. Welcome to the show, Rich Howells. This episode of the podcast is brought to you by Shirts for the Scene. Head over to thepopcoproject.com and you can purchase your favorite band tee. We are raising money for the local artist in northeastern Pennsylvania whose income was drastically affected by COVID-19 since the world shut down all the way back in March of last year. Hard to believe we've been going through this for almost a year now, but that's why this fundraiser is so important. Artist and musician's income has been next to nothing. And by buying a t-shirt on the online store, your purchase will directly have an impact as the proceeds go to the band whose shirt you are buying. There are over 100 bands, artists, and venues to choose from, but the store will be closing at the end of March. So go to thepopgoproject.com and purchase your shirt today. That's thepopgoproject.com and click the link for Shirts for the Scene and Shirts of the Scene is made possible by Axelrad Screen Printing in Wilkesbury, Pennsylvania. Visit them online at axelradarmy.com. This episode of the podcast is also brought to you by McDonald's. For decades, McDonald's customers have enjoyed fan favorites like the Big Mac, Quarter Pounder, filet fish and Egg McMuffin sandwiches. And now they are adding a new crave-worthy option to their roster of menu classics, introducing McDonald's highly anticipated crispy chicken sandwich. They are in restaurants now in three tasty ways. First one we got up is the crispy chicken sandwich. For those of you who want to keep it simple, it's topped with their crinkle cut pickles and served on a new toasted buttered potato roll. The spicy crispy chicken sandwich, which I had the other day for uh, those of you who crave some heat, served with their spicy pepper sauce and crinkle cut pickles on a toasted potato roll. And finally, the deluxe crispy chicken sandwich for those of you looking for a little extra in the toppings department served with shredded lettuce, Roma tomatoes, and mayonnaise. Get your butts to McDonald's today and take advantage of those three new menu options. Rich Howells. How are you, buddy? Good. How are you? Living the dream, buddy. Sunday night. You know, it's been a good weekend. Uh, I, I'm having a beer or two. I hope you're doing the same. I am, actually. What, okay. uh, what are you having? Uh, well, I'm sticking. Well, I'm not sticking with it, but I have the first one I'm having right now uh, is a Dogfish Head 90 Minute. Hmm. Uh, might be one of my favorite beers. Um, uh, the ABV is good. Um, and the taste is, is incredible. It's not like that, like, you know, high ABV taste. Right. It's got a nice, uh, full body, uh, taste to it. Um, but yeah. It's you- classic when it comes to craft beer. Absolutely a classic. I am having a, uh, stone brewing, uh, whoop stout. Okay. That's interesting. 
This one uh, is aged a couple years. Uh, I got it a few years ago, but it's uh, aged in bourbon barrels, and uh, it's quite good. This one, uh, they they change the artwork every year. It's like a collaboration beer um, with uh, this this actor who used to be on Star Trek and the guy who runs Fark.com, if, you, if you're familiar with Fark. Um, they, uh, they do this collaboration, uh, stout every year. So it changes a little bit each time. Um, but it's always quite good. And, uh, this one in particular has, uh, like superhero artwork on it. Sometimes it's like, uh, uh, Star Wars or Star Trek art, you know, things like that that are in tribute without getting sued over it. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's right up your alley. Uh, and you it see, is. you know, new artwork, uh, Dogfish Head is actually, this is new artwork as well. It's done a, I don't want to call it a rebrand, but definitely uh, new art for the, from what I've seen on the 90 minute and the 60 minute. Oh, I haven't seen that yet. And I'm, I'm drinking out of my uh, brew dog, live fast, drink slow glass. Mm-hmm. Big fan of brew dog. Shout out brew dog. Actually, I have a, my backup here is a, a brew dog uh, cannon blast. Born in Scotland, brewed in Ohio. So. Well, you can't do a podcast without a beer. I mean, well, no, and there's there's a couple of things. This this is a uh, a weekender files uh, segment or uh, episode rather, and you and I have a history of doing podcasts together. Yeah, uh, with beer, we used to be <laughs> sponsored by Beer Boys back in the day, and they always gave us these huge cr- crowlers, right? Crowlers were called. Yes, and um, I miss those. <laughs> we yeah, we uh, Rich and I interviewed. Uh, a lot of people together and now i will be the one interviewing rich it's definitely going to be weird it's funny because you actually i mean i'm not going to sit here and say that i'm a, a, a brilliant uh interviewer but if it weren't for you uh inviting me to be a co-host on the nepa scene podcast back in march of 2017 i don't know if i'd be able to be uh doing this today so thank oh, you man. I appreciate that. I, I, I love what you're doing with the show. I think you're you're uh, you're making your own name with it, and uh, I've, I've watched a bunch of episodes so far. I, uh, I watched a few of the Weekender ones to kind of prepare for today, and it's interesting because it seems like most of the stories are very very positive stories for the most part. Like I just watched the Matt Morgus one, and it was nothing but like it did great things for him, you know. But he also got out at the right time. <laughs> So yeah. it kind of depends on where, when you were at the company and what was going on at the time and who owned it and stuff like that. You know, everybody has their stories of different eras. You know, I remember even when I started uh, at the, the, the papers, um, a lot of the old journalists would talk about how, you know, they went through strikes and all this other stuff. So uh, it, it certainly wasn't just one company or another. It seems like every few years, these papers get, turned into something else and somebody else takes over and thinks they know how to do it better and it's uh it's a tough business yeah i do want to start by saying or a a little disclaimer um saying that um anything we say here this evening uh is not meant to um take a a stab or dig at the current uh management or any of their staff members at the time leader um those that are there now really had nothing to do with um, the weekender when Rich and I were there. So I just wanted to clarify that because, um, you know, people will take their, uh, <laughs> you know, take it for what it is. But uh, 
Yeah, yeah. And it's not to say I don't have good things to say. I have plenty of good things to say. But it's about 50-50, maybe 60-40, yeah. <laughs> uh, leaning towards the negative a little bit. Uh, yeah. So, but, like you kind of uh, touched on, you you kind of uh, were at the weekend, or it's like kind of the tail end of it. Um, but it wasn't all bad. So, let's start with the good parts. Um, Rich, you were the editor of, well, you were like a staff writer for the weekend, or for like a minute. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, yeah, it was a weird situation. So I, I guess maybe to to the the story goes back a little bit further right. in the sense that I started with the company under Golakwana, which right. was a weekly newspaper in Scranton. It was the Times Leader's way of trying to break into the Scranton market because they're based in Wilkes-Barre, and the Scranton Times kind of has a, a stranglehold on newspapers in that area, and they did not like us existing. So uh, it was short-lived. Uh, so I was there for, um, you know, I wrote it down specifically. So, so 2010 to 2012. It, when I got there, it was the Times Leader Scranton edition. And it was just a straight, regular-looking newspaper. And um, maybe a couple months in, they were like, oh, we're rebooting this whole thing. And we're getting rid of your editor. <laughs> and, but you can stay. I was like, oh, wow. You know, like, I had just gotten this job. And it literally saved me from uh, retail hell. Uh, at this point, I was a manager at a blockbuster. So you could see, you'd say that uh, I didn't have long future in, in, uh, in retail uh, ahead of you know, Well, you know what you should have done? You should have got on Reddit and got real clever with the, uh, the stock market. And you could have, uh, whatever they did, I don't, I'm not uh, informed enough <laughs> to say what they did, but you could have uh, increased this, the blockbuster stock and you would have been set. <laughs> Yeah, like the whole GameStop thing. Yeah, yeah. So you, yeah. you, so you were saying that you, um, this. You, so you were with Blockbuster. So I, was, I was with. Uh, yeah, I was. I, I was. Uh, I was at Blockbuster, and I was trying to get a writing job. And you had uh, Christy Greer on. Uh, Christy hired me as a freelancer, so I was doing some freelance articles for the Abington Journal, which is one of the Times Leaders uh, papers. And she was wonderful to work with. And I kind of saw it as just, okay, here's a way to, to get my foot in the door, maybe make a few bucks actually writing. Cause I had this English degree and, uh, you know, the payments were coming due on all of that debt, um, that I'm still trying to dig myself out of, uh, you know, but I, uh, I, I did the freelancing for about a year. And then that led into me getting an interview at the Times Leader Scranton edition. So they hired me and it was basically a lot of fluff stories, a lot of like, you know, city council, county commissioners, things like that. Um, so straight news and, you know, fluff pieces about like people in the community and stuff. And there's, you know, that wasn't really going to last long. So they, a couple months in, rebooted it as Golakwana. They hired Chris Hughes as the editor. He's come up a bunch of times on these shows. Yep. And, uh, and it just so happened that we went to high school together. And we didn't know each other that well, but we, we were in some, we were both in drama clubs. We were both in some of the plays. And so we had kind of a, we knew each other well enough, Uh, but we really became really close friends by doing that because uh, we were both at the same age. We both wanted the same things. We both really wanted to take it seriously and and make this really cool uh, weekly paper that was different from what the Scranton Times was doing. We weren't trying to copy what they were doing because we're only two guys 
and a couple of freelancers. Uh, we could never do what a whole building of people could do. And we were only a weekly, whereas they were a daily. So we kind of took this different approach and did a lot of uh, digital forward stuff, uh, more photos, video content, things like that, um, digital stuff, downloads and things. And this was really years before any newspaper in the area was even remotely interested in even trying that kind of stuff. And uh, we definitely, I think we made our mark. Uh, I won three Keystone Press Awards when I was there, uh, which are statewide awards. So uh, I knew we were doing good work. And a lot of the other people that I worked with there also won uh, Keystone Press Awards. So we were definitely doing a lot. We had kind of a, a good following of people who picked it up every week. Uh, but the Times leader really botched the distribution of it. Um, the distribution was terrible. It was really hard to get. It, it seemed like the people who didn't want it ended up having it thrown on their doorstep, whether they liked it or not. And usually uh, we, we they hired this company that was throwing it in people's gutters and stuff. So they, they were seeing it as trash. They weren't even reading the paper. And then people who did want it couldn't find it. You know, no matter where we told them to go look for it, it seemed like you could never get it. And so the distribution was terrible. And it seemed like the Times Leader at that point was too focused on trying to save themselves because obviously there was, uh, you know, talks of a buyout and talks of changing uh, companies and editors and all kinds of things. So I think they were too concerned with that to really worry about what we were doing in Scranton. So we got this great freedom to do really cool content that we really wanted to do. Um, I think we did some great hard hitting stories, but we also did like some, you know, I did, I handled most of the arts and entertainment stuff, which is kind of how I got into that. And I really, I met some really cool bands and kind of discovered more about the local music scene that I didn't know really existed before that. And so I kind of started to make a name for myself doing that type of stuff and making the connections that I needed. And, uh, but I knew that it was going to be short lived. So, uh, once I was about two years in, um, they had this came down one day that, oh, we're changing the direction of the paper because we think we can sell the paper better in West Scranton, Taylor, and a couple other areas. And I'm like, okay, well, so, uh, so if the, the biggest news of the world happens in South Scranton, we can't write about it. Yes, that's correct, is what they told me. Makes I sense. said, okay, that's that's the, the dumbest plan I've ever heard of in my life. <laughs> and this was before the big company that we're going to talk about uh, uh, came in. So they were already making some grave mistakes. And a lot of people picked us up for our, uh, our city council coverage or our county commissioner coverage because we, we I, I felt we were a little less biased than some other people writers were. And I think we gave a lot of, uh, you know, a fair shot to everybody. And people recognize that and respected that. And they made us cut all that out. They said, okay, well, that's not relevant to this particular area. And when I knew the right, the, when I, I knew the, the final straw was, um, there was a, some silly uh, contest, like a music contest of some kind. And they wanted me to interview the second place winner, aka loser, of a contest because they lived in the coverage area that they suddenly made up. So I couldn't interview the winner who maybe probably lived down the street, but was across the invisible line that they created. 
Sure. And and I'm like, so you want me to interview the second place winner of some contest that nobody's heard of? That's the big hitting story. Okay, this is this is getting bad. <laughs> so at this point, I, I figured, okay, if this paper, if they don't fire me, then the paper's just gonna go under. So um at that point, I had the idea for NEPA scene. A lot of people don't know this, but I actually had bought the domain name and reserved the Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram of at NEPA scene back when I was still at Go Lackawanna. So that's how long ago that I was thinking about launching my own site. Because I at that point, I figured my only other in that I think I could possibly get is the weekender. But at that point, the weekender wasn't hiring. So I figured I have no chance because anybody who has a job in journalism is going to hold on to it for dear life because you don't have a lot of options when you're in journalism. And if you're passionate about it, which I, I would say most of them are because it's a tough job and it pays like shit, um, you're, you're going to stick to that job as, as, as much as you can and you're not going to let it go. But as it just so happened, uh, as this was all kind of tumbling downhill, the staff writer position opened up at the weekender. So uh, uh, Nikki, who you, you had on, uh, interviewed me for that job. And, you know, and I'm, I'm trying to think back because Nikki was promoted after Mike Lilla left. Yes. Which was 2011. And I knew Lello from a couple of things. Like I would do a story at Galakawana sometimes that would be relevant to the Weekender. So I would send him that story. So he got a free story essentially here and there from Galakawana because obviously budgets are small. Uh, you can only do so much. So every once in a while, if we thought it was something the Weekender would like, we'd send them a story. And a lot of, sometimes they'd run it. So I I I had to had a few stories in the Weekender at that point. Right. So my question is. I, Nikki was promoted to the editor after Mike left, which was 2011. Mm -hmm. Did she did she take on the staff writer and editor position for a while? Because I don't, I feel like you didn't come on board until 2012. Yes, that's that's right. So, so I'm trying to think, as far as I know, yeah, she was doing both double duty at the time. Because I don't remember there being a staff writer there when I interviewed. Yeah, there wasn't. That's weird. How the hell did that yeah. play out? Oh. So I think she, her, I, I think she was hiring me as a staff writer, but at the same time, unbeknownst to everybody, I guess she was looking at other jobs and looking in New York uh, to move out of the area. And so by the time I interviewed, got the job and sat in the seat, then she essentially put in her two weeks, like right. almost right after that so i didn't really interact with her too much because i only did a couple of stories at that point and with golakawana kind of being almost put to bed at that point they had chris hughes come on as the interim editor of the mm -hmm. weekender so it's basically like golakawana part two for a couple of weeks and essentially I, I think and you know you can ask him if you want but i think he was told by Joe Buckowitz or whoever at the Times Leader, like shadow him, make sure that he's doing what he's supposed to be doing. If if he knows how what he's doing, then you can offer, you know, he can be the editor, you know, because Chris didn't want to stay. It wasn't a, a goal of his to be the editor there. And they needed him back at the TL for for stuff there because he had done many stuff with the, the Times Leader over the years. 
So, uh, so I think he, you know, kind of guided me and said, here's how you, you know, you, you handle this kind of stuff and whatever. So I just fell into the job as editor. So I went from thinking, I'm not going to have a job in a couple of weeks. I better start my own site and hope for the best to, oh, here's a full-time gig with, you know, better pay than you've ever gotten for any, any writing you've ever done in your life. And you get to be the editor and you get to choose your own staff writer. So right after that, we interviewed and I hired uh, Sarah Picorni, who, who uh, I don't know if you're going to talk to her at some point, but uh, I think she's on the list. Yes. Um, Sarah Picorni is now Sarah something other. Uh, she's, she's married now. And uh, yes, yes. I saw that she got married, which is great. You know, congrats, and, Sarah. Yes, so, congrats. so here's something that's weird. So I was the GM when you were the staff writer uh, fast track to editor. Yes. You'd think that I would have a better uh, remembrance of these moments because I was the GM. Yeah. But I, I really don't, which is like, I'm trying to figure out why that is. Um, <laughs> it's probably weird. because everybody at that point was doing two or three people's jobs and getting paid for one. And then that increased. Yeah. I mean, you know, as, as the GM, I, I definitely, um, you know, left Nikki to, to, I knew she knew how to do her job. So I wasn't, you know, in any way trying to, you know, dictate or delegate, you know, to her what, you know, needed to do. So I, as a GM, I was like that part of the, the, the arm is taken care of. Whereas, you know, the, uh, the, uh, sales part of it was, you know, what needed some more attention. And I was still carrying, some accounts because we had a small sales team. I think at the time there was two guys and I was essentially the third acting salesman while I was the general manager as well. So it was a very hectic um, time for sure. And it's like, I, I, for me, and I know this, I don't want to get off of, of your story here, but like for me, all I ever wanted to do was be the GM. Yeah. Like I got to that point. And I was like, this is not what I expected this to be. <laughs> this is this is the opposite of what I, I always thought it would be. Um, but we'll get into that. So uh, it's funny because that kind of reflects exactly how I felt um, because, you know, I took over as editor and, and then I hired Sarah because uh, well, first I wanted, I definitely wanted a female on the staff, but obviously I, you know, interviewed a few different people, you know, uh, it wasn't set in stone, but I wanted, you know, a female voice on the staff and I wanted somebody who, who had a good sense of humor and a sense of fun and that kind of thing. And she fit all of that, you know, in spades. And she was a great writer on top of it. And she already had the experience. She was doing some stuff for the Times Leader features at that point. And it seemed like she really kind of wanted to get out of that, you know, more kind of stiff writing for the newspaper and do more fun, featurey kind of stuff that we were doing at the weekender. So it just it, everything fell into place. And I was like, this is great. So she gets hired. And then within a couple of days, I get a uh, I don't know if it was a phone call or an email. I'm pretty sure it was an email. Uh, from Joe Buckowitz saying, you know, uh, congrats on the new position. Uh, by the way, your uh, budget is cut in half. Have fun. So right away, I was told that 
all the the money that now the the and you guys have covered this in a couple other of these uh, podcasts. How little money the weekender had to work with, and so now I was told that literally half of the money that the other people got, I now have to work with half of that. So uh, the so I, I emailed all of the freelancers and I said, well, here's the deal. I said I can either cut half of you and say thanks for your service, but I'm never going to email you again for a story or everybody can get cut in half in terms of the pay. So every, everybody uh, unanimously agreed to taking the half because they still wanted to contribute. And obviously most of them weren't doing it for the money. <laughs> you know, they were doing it because right. they wanted to interview somebody in particular, or they just liked to write or whatever the case may be. So uh, that was a really hard decision, especially because just a few years ago, I was in that same position uh, as a freelancer trying to make it as a, as a writer and trying to make it as a journalist. And it, uh, that was tough. So right away they had me making the tough choices. So right now, now you're the, you're the new guy telling these other people, these, these writers that, Hey, uh, your, your pay is getting cut. Yeah. And they don't know anybody else other than you. So it's, it's you being the bad guy. Exactly. Yeah. They, so, uh, you know, they were essentially throwing me under the bus in that sense. And, uh, these people I think understood because I, I try to word it the best way that I possibly could the most sensitive way that I could and explained, you know, my story too. Like I'm in, you know, in the same boat and, you know, I know that uh, essentially over the next few months, I'm going to be taking over other people's jobs too, that I don't want to do. So, uh, you know, right away, I, I liked working with you guys because we had a good team and uh, we we had uh, this meeting of the minds once a week, which I, I really enjoyed. You know, every Wednesday, once the paper came out, we'd all sit down and uh, you guys on the ad side and us on the editorial side were able to kind of, you know, talk and collaborate and figure out what we wanted to do for the week. And, uh, and that was, that was great. And we, we had, uh, we also had another, we had Amanda who, uh, was our kind of main photographer, like house photographer, but also our designer who designed the, 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 the front covers and some of the stories inside. And she did obviously the, the ads and stuff too. And it was funny cause, uh, I wanted to make sure I mentioned this story quick, but, uh, Amanda did not like me at first. And I don't know why. Uh, I don't know if we ever really established that, <laughs> but she just, for some reason, just didn't, you know, I don't know if I rubbed her the wrong way or said something or whatever, but, you know, uh, we didn't get along at first. We were just butting heads all the time in terms of like, I'd say, hey, you know, can we do it this? It, no, no, that's impossible. We just can't do it that way. If, if I said, you know, I really think this uh, should be red. No, it's blue. It's got to be blue. And, uh, and then eventually, as we worked together more, we really got along, and then we became friends too. And that I think, like, and that's something that I think is going to come into play later <laughs> as the story goes on. But I'm a big believer in, uh, you know, you don't have to like me, but we can all get along, you know, and we can all work together. And if we have differences, that's totally fine. Uh, but I'm going to continue to work with you. I'm not going to try and undermine you. I'm not going to try and fight with you. I'm not going to try and get you fired. 
I'm not going to, you know, and, and I, people really become weasels in the workplace in a lot of ways. And thankfully, you know, we didn't have that in our little staff. You know, we didn't have that. But I saw it in other departments where somebody would try to undermine somebody else, talk down to them, uh, you know, make them feel bad, go to the boss and say, hey, you know, so-and-so is doing this or that or, you know, whatever, try and push them out. And I, I'm a firm believer in, you know, we all got the job for a reason. We're all here uh, based on our merits and based on our passion for things. So I didn't feel that it was necessary to, to, to go that route. And it worked in our favor because everybody ended up getting along in the, in the long run. And, uh, you know, like a family, I think we had our, you know, <laughs> we had our disagreements or our debates on, you know, what we should or shouldn't do or what we should write about or what should be on the cover. But never anything that I thought was was mean or unfriendly. No, I mean, and that's been a common theme, too, is, you know, no matter who was at the weekend at the time, we were all very passionate about that product. And we all kind of acted as a family and like brothers and sisters. And, and we fought that way, too. Uh, I said that, I think, time and time again. Um, and, you know, I want to go touch on the fact that you said that, you know, we'd have these these weekly staff meetings and for anyone listening or watching, like, you know, they might say, well, that, you know, who cares? That's not a big deal. But like in the newspaper world, that is a big deal because uh, more often than not, editorial would never speak to the sales department. And yes. why I think that was important is because, you know, we had a staff meeting. We would sit down. It was editorial. It was it was staff. It was management. I mean, the salespeople are the people that are out on the streets. You know, they're the ones talking to people, and and they they're the ones who I wouldn't say know more of what's going on because that's not the right way to put it. But they're out there. They're 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 on the street, and they they see a lot more as opposed to someone who's in the building most of the day. So that's right. why that's important. I think. Absolutely. And, and I, and I understand that like some people feel like, oh, you know, one is going to taint the other that, you know, if you're in advertising, you're going to say, Hey, you should do a story on this because it's going to make us money and that kind of thing. And that's not, that's not what our meetings were about. And that's not how we work. No, no, not, not at all. That's you know, what I was really special. I mean, that's, that's why when I was in college, I, I wanted to be in marketing and, and I wanted to have like these, these collaborative meetings and, and, you know, start from one idea that kind of, you know, if I have an idea then you say, Hey, yeah, that's a great idea. What if we add this to it? And then yeah. Joe Schmo says, those are great ideas. Let's add this to it. Or I, I know someone who can help us out with this. And it just kind of, it goes from uh, a silly idea to like a really great idea. That's what I was liked about mm -hmm. um, what we did and how we did things at the weekender. Yeah. Yeah. And, and we did some, you know, we followed some goofy trends. Uh, we did like the, the hell was it? Something the Harlem shopping. Shake. Harlem Shake. That's Harlem Shake. <laughs> yeah. Like stupid stuff like that, you know, but, uh, and, and, you know, that's not my kind of, that's not my kind of thing, but it was fun to do it with everybody. You know, like if everybody was in on it, I mean, we, we uh, were probably the worst dodgeball team in the history of dodgeball. <laughs> That is true, but we drank like champions. Yes, yes, exactly. So we we joined this league with a bunch Cheers. of other people and other businesses and stuff, and uh, you know, for for a feature, but also for fun, for you know, team bonding sort of thing. And we all sucked at it. I mean, 
me especially, I definitely was uh, always last pick. I was going. I was going to say, speak for yourself, Rich, because I was uh, an all star. Yeah, actually, you 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 have a great arm. Uh, <laughs> I I definitely remember seeing some uh, some people get uh, smacked in the face and stuff by uh, your balls. So congrats <laughs> on your big balls. <laughs> That's great. Yeah. So, uh, but yeah, we, 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 we found different ways to, uh, you know, have fun and stuff. And, you know, we had to do, uh, you know, the, the, the awards and stuff every year and everything. And, you know, we all, we all drank together. We all, uh, you know, had a good time. So, and we really bonded over that time, which then makes the next part that much harder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I remember, and you can correct me if I'm wrong, because like my my memory is beginning to, I don't want to say fade away, but I guess fade away, and just just there's more important things that are going on currently in my life that are kind of replacing those memories. So that's one reason I'm doing these because I want to have a documentation, and I kind of want to just remember, you know, those 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 times of my life, and um. Yeah, things went downhill pretty quick. I mean, I don't even want to say it started with me, but I mean, let's be honest. I think once I left, that was a a detrimental point in the, the weekenders' history. And and again, I mean, you got you guys did a great job at, at doing your best to kind of keep it going, but. I mean, the tools that you had even before I left were, they were all gone. I mean, it was just a weird time. So let's get into that. So 2013 is kind of when you were hired as the editor in 2012. Yeah. Fall ish. Yeah. Yeah. It was probably about the fall. I know we we did the, the model year party, which is typically in October. I know Chris was kind of involved at that point. Um, but I think moving on past that, we kind of, we were on our own. I remember mm-hmm. we, we kind of, you know, we, we, I remember myself saying, okay, you know, 2013, it's going to be our year. Our staff is in place and we, we know who the players are. We had, you know, Kieran and Paul Shaw were the sales guys. Amanda Dittmar was the photographer designer. Sarah was the staff writer. You were the editor. I was a GM slash sales guy. But we all we all knew like okay this is this is it this is this is the team we have in place, and then they took us out of the Weekender building, which was located on 90 East Market Street. We had a small little office. It was actually like in the production center of the newspapers. Um, it's like a small floor. It was like it was only six of us or seven eight of us. Yeah. Um, but they decided that they needed to keep a better eye on us, I think. Yes. And that, that was, to me, that was the beginning and the end. Yeah. Um, you know, I mean, even our, our you know, we, we had a, a big wall that had the Weekender logo painted on it and stuff like that. So we had our own kind of space, our own creative area, kind of do what we wanted. So they put us in this little wing in the Times Leader building um, that was right off of the main newsroom. So we did have a little space, but it was obviously much, much, much smaller. And it was right on top of the newsroom. And they would constantly come in and interrupt us and tell us what to do, whatever. Um, but we, we had that little, that little nook there. And uh, essentially, that was their way to start piling new stuff on top of us. 
like, okay, now since you're here, you know, because you're not working, you don't have your own paper to deal with every week. Um, you can add this to your pile and this to your pile. Uh, one of the weird things they had me do uh, was this paper uh, called Bazaar, um, which was like a shopper paper. Um, and we put a bunch of crappy AP stories on it to make it look like a newspaper, but you know, it's just a bunch of ads and it's just a way, and you know, you can correct me if I'm wrong, then to say, well, Hey, your ad's going to appear in six papers, not realizing that one of those six papers is this crappy little insert thing that everybody immediately throws away and nobody ever looks at. Right. So they had me editing that every week on top of all the other stuff. Then, then came, uh, you, you, they cut our layout person. So now me and Sarah were doing the layout every week. And that was Mike so G, we right? Just, what's that? Yeah, that was Mike, Mike G. That was Mike G, yeah. So. Yeah, and, you know, Mike G was great. You know, I didn't know him as well as everybody else did, but, I mean, he had been there for a long, long time. Yeah, I mean, he was a savior uh, in a lot of ways uh, over the years. Um, yeah, I actually forgot about um, – I didn't forget about the fact that he lost his job, but I forgot that like these, these little bits and pieces like of just of them taking from us and taking from us and then, but adding on to adding on yeah. to us in the wrong way. So yeah, I, I, yeah, it's all coming back to me now. Yeah. I had to, you know, if, if you ever see me looking over here, I, I wrote myself a bunch of notes. So I would remember all this sure. stuff. Absolutely. The more, the more that I thought about it, the more it was kind of coming back to me. Uh, because, because obviously we've all moved on and we've, we're all doing other things now, and in I think in some ways better things. But well, definitely- this is, I mean, this is, I mean, I wanted to talk about the good and the bad because there there was that, and like you said earlier, um, in the heyday of the weekender, there's a lot of a lot of good, and it was there was not a lot of of bad things to say, right? But, the, yeah. the, and it really depended on what kind of era you were. And it's not to say I got to do some incredible stories. I did write down like some, just a few of the people that I got to. to yeah. Interview. I wanted to ask you before we get into like the, the downfall, tell me a <laughs> yeah. little bit about like the, the, the good the stuff, good like stuff. your favorite cover stories, your, you know, the, the great interviews that you got to do that you never thought you'd even like, you know, never on your radar, just like right. the good stuff. So, uh, I'll I'll blow through a bunch of these real quick and then you can, you know, if you, if you want to learn more about any of them. So I did uh, Jerry Cantrell of uh, Alice in Chains, Alice Cooper, John Densmore from The Doors, uh, Sebastian Bach, McMars of Motley Crue, uh, Art, uh, the singer of uh, Everclear, uh, Zach Wilde, the Black Label Society, Scott Ian from Anthrax, Andrew W.K., uh, Sylvain Sylvain of New York Dolls, who just passed away uh, recently. Creedence Clearwater Revival, uh, Team Back Sunday, The Used, Aaron Lewis, In This Moment, Coheed and Cambria, Jane's Addiction, Kansas Fuel, KMFDM, Stone Sour, Sarah Bareilles, Megadeth, Chubby Checker, uh, The Queers, Air Supply, uh, Lamb of God, Death Clock, and you can see all genres. Uh, Steve Martin, Henry Winkler, uh, Lou Ferrigno, uh, Peter Mayhew, who was uh, Chewbacca, uh, the original Chewbacca, uh, Louis Black. Jim Belushi, Daryl Hammond, Judith O'Day from The Living Dead, uh, Walking Dead cast members, Paul Servino, uh, Joel Hodgson, and Mike Nelson of Mystery Science Theater. And in terms of local people, uh, 
Title Fight, Tiger Shaw, Menzingers, Motionless and White, all of these people when they were still kind of starting to rise up and, and, right. and get bigger and stuff. So, uh, and that's just a, a small sampling. And that's not even to mention all the local bands. Because one of the main things I wanted to do when I came back was, uh, you know, not that I, I thought Nikki did a bad job or anything. Nikki's direction seemed to be more of, you know, featurey type stories that fit what she liked. I was uh, more of a music nerd. So I really want to see a lot of local bands on the covers because that's what I remember, uh, especially during like Mike Lello's time and stuff was every week it was like a new local band on the cover, somebody interesting that I wanted to learn more about. So I really put a lot of local bands on the covers in my time there. I'm very proud of that. Um, but we also did those stories too, not just to kind of build up my resume, but just because I was a music nerd and I really wanted to talk to these people. And, you know, how many opportunities do you get to talk to some of these people? Like uh, Jerry Cantrell in particular, um, one, of, one of my favorite stories to tell is, uh, you know, this is when Allison Chains was just starting to come back with a new singer. And uh, I had never gotten this kind of email before, but I got an email in advance that was a warning from his management and saying that just so you're aware, Jerry is very hard to deal with <laughs> and, uh, you know, can sometimes make journalists cry or hang up the phone or uh, whatever. Uh, so just be aware that, um, you know, don't ask him this. Don't talk to him about that. Don't mention this, you know, and I'm, I'm like, Oh, I'm already like, completely you know like sweating bullets having to pick up the phone and talk to this guy and now you're piling this on me like oh my god this is going to be a nightmare this is going to be terrible and then what am i going to do and uh i really did my research overly so as i usually do for these types of things and i get on the phone with him and he's great and he's so easy to, to talk to and I could tell he's a little guarded at first and, and he doesn't like to talk about what the lyrics mean to his songs and things like that and whatever. And by halfway through the conversation, he stops and he says, you're getting me to talk about what my lyrics mean. He's like, I don't ever do that. It's like, I really like you and just keeps going. And so we had this great conversation. I got off the phone and I think his manager was like, holy shit. <laughs> Cause like he wanted to keep talking to me. Like we only had, you know, a couple of minutes scheduled 10 or 15 minutes or whatever. And I, we talked for probably a half hour, you know, maybe more. And uh, he was wonderful and it was a great interview and it turned out to be a great piece. So, uh, you know, that came from those years of doing those Golakwana stories where, uh, you know, we weren't under the management's thumb. You know, there wasn't anybody saying you can't write about this or you should write about that or whatever. They were just happy as long as we filled the paper uh, every week. <laughs> they didn't really pay attention to us there because we were on the island, you know, as, as we would call it, because we were in Scranton and everybody else was based in Wilkes-Barre. So we were even further from everybody than the Weekender was because the Weekender was only a few blocks down from where the Times Leader was. Um, you know, we were in another city. So we had kind of free reign to do a lot of stuff that maybe wasn't particularly like the best thing to do, but it was like the thing that we wanted to do or the thing we wanted to take a chance on because we thought readers would be interested in it or we wanted to to do it to, you know, to take that opportunity while we still had it. 
because obviously these opportunities don't last long. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I really loved doing those types of interviews and kind of giving these guys, because they hear the same questions over and over. Um, most of these phoners are, you know, 10 or 15 minutes and they're doing it while they're driving in the car or they're setting up their gear or they're in a hotel in some city or whatever. So uh, they've heard the same questions a million times over. So I was always very, I tried to read everything that they did recently, every, every interview that they did up until, you know, on that tour, whatever it was, so that, uh, and because you can usually read an interview and you can tell what the questions are, even if they're not written out for you. And so I tried to bring up things that were different, uh, things that I thought they hadn't talked about before or they didn't talk about often. And that really worked really well. So I had a really good time doing those stories. Uh, Art from Everclear, we did a, a, a cover story with him. And I thought he was one of the best because he was so brutally honest. You know, this was a guy who wasn't afraid to talk about addiction and his times, you know, hey, I had this big hit, but I was still depressed and I was down and I, you know, went through all this stuff. And most of these guys, they don't want to talk about that. They want to do the everything's great. Here's our new single. Go check it out. Um, you know, the happy stuff. They don't want yeah. to talk about those things. Yeah, you're right. And I mean, I love I love uh, Everclear. I think Art's an awesome guy. I never had a pleasure of talking to him. But um, yeah, I mean, that's the kind of stuff that I think, especially now these days, that people want to hear. And that's why I'm doing what I'm doing. And I'm sure it's why you do what you do. Because like, it's those... You know, anyone can do a radio interview or a newspaper interview. It's it's the same, you know, generic questions. I just start new CD, blah blah blah, and it's like, right. who cares? Like, I can find that on Google. You know, it's yeah. it's how can we get more? How can we get deeper and in, in, into the lives of these people that you know people kind of care about and kind of can relate to and yes. and maybe get something out of when you talked about you know art with um you know addiction and things like that. Like, that's what people like are relating to it unfortunately and or at least you know hearing about and saying okay i can change my life too you know so it's it's yeah i mean that's definitely the the route to go yeah i I had a a great time doing those Uh, honestly though the the thing that i i really you know i I took the journalism thing as like how else I, i wanted to be a writer and i wanted to be a writer since high school but like how do you make money doing that and so journalism is just the easiest way, but maybe not like what exactly what I want to do. But over time, I really fell in love with it because I liked telling real stories as opposed to having to make up stories for, you know, uh, you know, fiction and stuff. I wanted to, to you know, because, uh, you know, truth is, is stranger than fiction, but it's also more interesting. You know, it's, it's more in depth and it's something that people can relate to, you know, because you're not making it up. You're not trying to live someone else's life. You're just telling the readers about an actual life lived and how they, they, they lived it. So I really enjoyed that. And I, I fell in love with telling the local stories because there were stories that hadn't been told a million times, you know, as much as I enjoyed doing that entire list of like people and stuff. And, you know, some of them I got to meet in person, you know, other ones, most of them were over the phone. Uh, but I really liked doing the local stories because you'd meet them in person, you'd sit down and tell their story. And it was probably the first and maybe only time that their story was ever going to get told in print. Um, And if it was told in the future, it was probably going to be told about, you know, from somebody who's maybe less passionate, who's just got to bang out 
six or seven stories, uh, you know, a day and they just got to get through it. And so they're asking those same generic questions. So even locally, you see that same kind of formatted story repeated over and over and over again. And I was sick of reading that personally. So I wanted to tell stories that I thought were more interesting in a more interesting way, because most of these people are extremely interesting and they have stories to tell, as you know, you know, by doing this show and you want to get more in depth. And so, you know, having the space to do it, I mean, the, at this time, the Weekender was anywhere from 56 pages to like 80 pages, usually. So like, that's a lot of space to fill. I mean, you, you know, you guys obviously had your space for your ads, but, you know, uh, there were some weeks where it was like, shit, we need another story on top of everything else we just did. And I was banging out four or five stories maybe a week. Uh, Sarah was doing five, six stories a week, plus the very meager freelance budget we had, uh, to have a couple extra stories in there and some like columnists and things. So, I mean, that's a lot of content every week and you hope that people actually give it a shot. Yeah. What was cool about you guys, you and Sarah, especially like you guys wanted to write. And so here's the thing with so those who are just listening or watching and don't know, the, the Weekender as a weekly could go up or down in increments of, I believe, eight. So it could be 56, 64, 72, 80, 88, 96. I think 96 was like the kind of cap. There was one time in Weekender history that we actually did over 100 pages. We actually had to like... I forget what it was. We sold a bunch of a bunch of shit and we had to go above a hundred. And I forget what it was. I wish I could remember. Rachel Pugh might remember because I think it was, it was her initiative. But um so like you know, you can you can get to Tuesday and you can kind and like we always kind of like, all right, based on the stories, based on the ads, I think we'll be at a let's say it's a 80-page paper this week. Yeah. The Tuesday comes and like let's say the Woodlands decides, you know what, instead of a full page ad, I want a half page or yeah, I want to cut it completely or, or whatever the, the case may be. Um we already had plans for an 80 page paper, but ads kind of fell through and we're like, oh shit. Like, you know, from a budgetary <laughs> standpoint, you're saying, okay, well, maybe we like instead of printing that 80 page, let's let's you know put it down to 72 or can you, Rich and Sarah, you know, keep it at 80 by filling it with a story or two. Right. Um, it was always interesting for sure. Yeah. And, you know, obviously every once in a while we would run an AP story uh, because we had to, uh, you know, because there were extra pages that we didn't count on or whatever. And time was just out. We just couldn't get any more work done. But I mean, we were like, I look back on, you know, just going through my files um, that I had saved to uh, to an old drive uh, just for this interview to look up like some of the people that I've interviewed. I was like, the the amount of work that we put out is unreal. Like we fill books, books like we were we were pumping out a full sized book, like a novel <laughs> every couple of weeks uh, was a novel, like in terms of of how much writing and how detailed it was, too, you know. Uh, you know, you always hope that people actually, you know, read the stories, which, you know, in the days of the internet, you're lucky if they even read the headline. 
so like we were putting a lot of work into these interviews to make them detailed, make them interesting, and then to edit everything too, you know, the, the, to, to proofread everything, make sure everything makes sense, make sure everything, you know, uh, you know, works for the, you know, if, uh, if there's any curses, you got to censor the cursing or, you know, cut that stuff out or whatever, which usually we censored them. We didn't, I, I tried not to, I figured like we're the alternative weekly. We're supposed to be a little more edgy. So usually I just put a star, you know, like, a, you know, yeah. F star CK. You know, Look, but, yeah. Looking back, we should, let's, we should let it fly. Yeah. Yeah, we should. We, we really should. But, you but, know, I, I was always, you know, uh, what when things started to go bad, um, it went from like, like what's what's interesting about Joe Buckowitz um, was he, he was the editor at the Times leader uh, when I was there and he he left when. Civitas Media came in when uh, the 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 hedge fund people and the merger people and the lawyers and all that stuff get involved. Um, the good journalists uh, either get crushed or uh, leave. And thankfully, Joe was able to leave on his own terms. But he was the kind of guy you could go to, ask for advice at any time, and he would give you the absolute best sage advice uh, for any any of your editorial needs. And he also he was always there. He was always there when you needed him. And uh, and if, if he had a disagreement with you, he'd be stern with you. He'd be frank, but he wouldn't be mean about it. He didn't make you he didn't talk down to people. He didn't make them feel bad. Um, you know, he was he was a great manager in that sense. So um, there was some big shoes to fill when he was leaving. And um, yeah, can you before you get to that, because I, I think he. So just to, to kind of add to that, I remember, I remember I had an issue with something. I forget what it was. I, I really wish I could remember. I just remember being in Joe's office and, and going to him and saying, like, we need help with this or, or this isn't going the way we need it to be. I forget what it was exactly. That's going to bother me. But, like, to go into what you said, like, yeah, I, he was very approachable. And he was, he was always a good um, mentor. Um, whether it was um, editorial stuff or just a human being, you know, he was always that yeah. that person. And um, you know, even when I went over to Time Shamrock, who he eventually landed at, I always would see him. Not not always, I shouldn't say always, but like I'd see him in passing, and it was always a pleasure to to see him and 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 just kind of. Uh, talk to him as, as a as a human being and and he's a, he's a great guy and and what i'm trying to get at is he's a good guy what was interesting about him too and i didn't find this out until a little later was that he used to be a weekender guy he used to be a features guy he used okay. to do um you know like he, uh, i i remember at some point uh hearing this and maybe he can correct me if you ever talk to him um uh red carpet interviews and things like that like big deal stuff, like stuff that newspapers just absolutely do not get to do anymore at all. Um, but he was doing some really, really cool stuff. So he had that background as well. So he completely understood where we were coming from and what we were doing. It wasn't one of those things where you were talking to the hardened news guy who only understood, you know, courtrooms and fires and police and that kind of stuff. Like those, the hard news stories, he knew how to do the other kinds of stories too. 
And that, that was a cool part about Golaguana was being able to do those. Like I, I was thrown into the fire right away. So I did like the, the police stories, the crime stories, the, you know, somebody's house burned down, like those type of tragic stuff. Uh, but I, and then the same week I'd be, you know, talking to some, you know, celebrity or doing a local news band story or something like that. There was a wide variety of stuff. The Weekender was so much more focused. And I liked that because I think that's where I wanted to go. Like at that point, I had figured out like I really like arts and entertainment stuff and I want to keep doing that. Um, but like it, it just became this high pressure situation where every day is like, you know, is my job going to be next? And that's the world that we still live in now where every journalist is afraid of another takeover, another, you know, we're clearing everybody out sort of thing. And nobody, else, nobody gets replaced. Everybody just has to take out everyone else's job. And from the outside perspective, people just look at it as your paper sucks. It's not what it used to be. You know, you should be doing this. You should be doing that. Not realizing like the incredible pressure that these people are under and how it would be so much better for their physical and mental health to just, you know, work in a factory or a McDonald's or something like anything to, to get away from that kind of situation. The only people that are really doing it at this point are the people who are diehards. And, you know, I was one of those people. And I felt like the more that I put, the more that I took on that I could, I was indispensable that uh, not that I didn't think I could get fired, but in the back of my mind, I was like, there's no way they could fire me because I do so much. I take on so many other people's jobs at this point. Um, so when they moved us over to the Times, the Times Leader building, uh, they started sending everything to the hub. They got rid of everybody uh, that was doing layout here. And so the, the, the company that took over owned a lot of other newspapers across the country. So they were installing people from their, from their perspective, people that they thought could do a better job than you were doing, I guess. Um, so, you know, Joe B got replaced by this guy, George, and he came in not being from the area not knowing anything about the area. And that was a hard pill to swallow, I think for a lot of us, because we all looked at it as like, we know this area, like the back of our hands, because we've lived here our whole lives. We know what people want to read about. We know what people are interested in. And here comes some outsider telling us, well, we, I think you should do it this way. I think it should be done that way. So uh, I wasn't sure how to feel about him at first, uh, but he was a younger guy. And I thought, well, maybe that's a good thing. You know, a younger guy comes in and he knows that we need to be moving more digital. You know, I one of the things I wanted to do, which I never really got to do, was more digital content. Uh, we did do some stuff. We had, you know, some features that were video uh, heavy and things like that. But we never got to do the social media stuff I wanted to do. I wanted to do a podcast, which eventually became the NEPA scene podcast <laughs> because I felt like, you know, podcasts were just kind of starting to take off at that point. And I feel like we should have been ahead of that game. We should have been doing this because nobody else in the area was doing it. And now everybody's doing it. You know, everybody has podcasts. You know, no offense, of course, but, you know, yeah, everybody's dude, got a podcast. It's, yeah, it's oversaturated. And, you know, it's, it's, I don't deserve to be here, but here I am. 
<laughs> no, you, to- you totally do because you have the media background. Uh, I feel like there's, uh, you know, and it's not to, to, I'm not pointing at any fingers at any particular shows or anything, but I feel like there's a lot of podcasts where it's like, you know, this is great if I know the people involved, but otherwise, like, you not having a media background it isn't really helping your show. It's just kind of a bunch of rambling and stuff. Like it needs to have some kind of focus. You need to have, be an interviewer and kind of guide the story and keep things going and that stuff like that. And some of them are really good at it and, you know, other ones are not, but um, I really wanted to see more of that kind of stuff. And I just never got the opportunity. So this guy came in and our, my first meeting with him when he came into my office uh, was very friendly. And he seemed like uh, he knew what he was doing and he wanted it. I was talking about digital stuff and he's like, yes, yes, yes. And I'm like, okay, this is going to be great. And right before he leaves, he says, so I, I, so I have this idea. I want to combine the times leader features with the weekender. What do you think about that? And at this point, you know, it was just two guys having a conversation and I wasn't, you know, obviously I saw him as my, you know, he was a boss, he was my boss, but he wasn't like, you know, he was saying it in a very friendly way. So I was like, well, I personally don't think that's a great idea because the Times Leader features has traditionally been like for old ladies who want cookie recipes or, you know, how to grow your garden, you know, in the springtime and stuff like that. And you know, our readership just wouldn't read those stories. And there's always crossover for sure. I mean, we could share stories. We often like, you know, uh, one of the writers there was embedded in the theater scene. So whereas Sarah did a lot of the theater stories, every once in a while, we'd use one of the Times Leader stories if we needed, you know, some extra, you know, an extra story or two or something like that. We would use one of our stories and vice versa. Sometimes they would use our, our stories. So. Um, you know, there's definitely crossover in certain areas, but I, I'm totally, it doesn't make sense because we're trying to be hip and cool. And, you know, for the kids going out to the bars and stuff, they don't, there's a reason they're not reading the times leader features. Well, the weekend was the alternative. I mean, that was, it was the alternative weekly. Yes, exactly. It's literally in the the description. Yeah. And, and and real quick for a timeline, uh, purpose, uh, the, the, the point where Rich is at right now is I had already left. I, you know, Rich touched on the fact that they kind of outsourced things. And, and I, I, I was constantly saying to my advertisers, um, Hey, sorry, your ad was wrong. Like you, you wanted a full color ad and it ran black, black and white. You did a half page next week. I'll give you a full page, uh, full color, no added, added, uh, cost to you. And it was every week, every single week. Week after week after week, it was saying sorry to, you know, one, two, three, four people. And, you know, saying sorry once is fine. Saying sorry twice is okay, especially with the way that I had the relationships built. But when you're saying it week after week for three, four, five weeks, you get to the point where they're saying, John, what the fuck is going on over there? What are you doing? Yeah, so and that, that's when it really started to be noticeable because, like, Amanda used to do our covers, and then they took that away from her. And right. they said, you can't do the covers anymore. You can't do these nice, you know, feature spreads and stuff. She would do, she would lay out the cover story and these nice big spreads with big photos and, and nice colors and designs and backgrounds and things. All that was gone overnight. When they sent everything to the hub, 
the the hub were just and and uh, there's no other way I can say it. Fucking idiots. Fucking idiots. These were people who had no background in newspapers whatsoever, and they didn't care. They were probably getting paid minimum wage or barely above that to sit in a cubicle and bang out a certain number of papers. So they're doing papers across the country for hours and hours and hours. I'm sure it was grueling work, and it was work that nobody really wants to do, even if you love newspapers. But this was, you know, all done through uh, phone calls or a, a very archaic instant message system that was like, you know, dial up AOL type of instant message system. And so we'd send them the stories and they were just like, uh, the stories would get cut off. The cut lines were wrong. The photos were, somebody's head would be cut off the photo. And they just go, uh, approved, approved. And uh, no, no, this is not, <laughs> this is not approved. Please go back. Anybody with eyes could see that this is wrong. So, you know, you think it was bad with the the ads. It was just as bad with the editorial. And no, so, and, I, and I know that. And that's the, the one of the reasons I left. Well, there was many reasons. It was just like, and I felt, I felt as a manager, I felt like I was abandoning you guys to an extent. But like, I, in my mind, I was like, you know what? I am not going to let this company from out of town who doesn't give a fuck about anything yeah. other than the bottom line ruin my reputation and the relationships that I built over nine years because that's just not how I, how I operate. And I said, you know what? And I have to be the guy to talk to my staff and say, hey, like, you know, suck it up or do whatever. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm sorry. Like, you know what? If it's my company where I could talk to you and say, Hey Rich, like, you know what? Like, you know who I am, you know, where the, the bottom line goes to like, yeah, we can have a conversation, but like these people didn't give a fuck. And I saw yeah. that and I felt that. And I just, and I, I don't, I feel it, like I kind of ran away, but in the same sense, I wouldn't be where I am today. If I let them ruin what I built. Yeah. And, you know, that's the, the thing is it, it got to a point where I probably would have quit at some point anyway, because my name was on this paper. You know, you turn to the first page and there's my picture and it says editor. And editor implies that the paper has been edited. So if people open up in the first couple of pages, there's words all over the place. There's headlines all over the place. There's things cut off. Uh, there's, uh, completely incorrect, uh, you know, uh, spelling and stuff, even though you've already sent them the text, it's literally copy paste. Here's the headline. Here's the text. Here's what I need. I can't describe it to you any better than I am now. And they'd still come out wrong. And even after I give the approval, now, mind you, I would be there till after midnight a lot of times. And the, the, the people at the printers hated my guts. Because they're like, we want to get this thing out and get it in the trucks and get it to all the paper boxes and things like that. And I was there sometimes at, at, at some, now this is after I worked all, you know, uh, a full, you know, 12, 14, 16 hours uh, uh, in, in a day, literally begging people, oh, please, my God, page 20, please don't let it go to print like this. It is embarrassing it is humiliating 
that this is going to have my name on it. And even after a lot of these corrections were made, I look at in print and there it was. They sent the, the ver two, two versions before that. And that's the one that ended up in print. And so I'm dealing with the humiliation. I'm dealing with the pain. I'm dealing with people emailing me going, fucking assholes at the weekender, you idiots. You can't spell, you can't whatever. And I have to go, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess I guess we are that stupid, you know? Because they're not going to hear those excuses. They don't care. You know, your readership is looking at the paper every week and assuming that it's made in the the, the fastest and best way possible. This was that a company coming in and saying, we can do this better, and then adding 10 steps to the process. Instead of having a guy literally right next to me in the next room or down the stairs putting the paper together, I'm calling North Carolina. I'm calling uh, another state and begging some guy who doesn't know what the weekender is, doesn't care uh, to you know fix this page or whatever. He's not getting paid enough to give a shit. So I, I kind of half don't blame him. And he's just getting okay and moving on because he's got a deadline to meet too. He's got a boss to please and whatever. And whenever I brought those concerns to anybody, it was just like, yeah, we know we're dealing with the same thing. Okay, then why haven't we corrected this? And it became weeks and then it became months of this over and over and over again. And it was just, I, I was just run ragged, you know? And meanwhile, you know, as I was saying about our friend George, so, you know, that first meeting after I had said in the nicest way possible, I personally don't think that's the best idea. Thinking in the back of my mind, you're just going to do this anyway. You're the boss and you can do whatever you want. You're probably just going to do this. I'm just letting you know in advance. Here's just what I think. From that day forward, he decided you're my enemy. You, I am going to make your life miserable. And he did absolutely everything that he could to make my life a living hell on top of the hell that I was already living with this. Because <laughs> I've had, you know, I'm doing these stories whenever else, and I'm not putting that burden on anybody else. You know, I'm not making Sarah stay till 12 at night. You know, I'm, not, you know, and she was already doing many extra hours and not getting paid for it, whatever. Um, but, you know, I was, you know, uh, I was only getting paid for 40 hours a week, but I was doing way, way more than that, trying to do all this damage control. And then to come in at nine o'clock the next day after I've gotten basically no sleep or whatever and have George go, you're a minute late. Hmm. We're going to have to talk about this. The one day, um, it was a, it, it just happened to be a, a Wednesday. Um, right before I left for work, my dog got up the front door and, uh, you know, uh, my dogs are my kids. You know, I'm not having children. My wife and I are not having children. Our dogs are mean, mean, mean so much to us. Sure. So uh, this was only maybe a few months after we had gotten our first dog. And so she was still kind of skittish and still kind of unpredictable and whatever. And she just happened to, you know, my wife opened the door really quick to say something to me and she just slipped out and ran out the door. So the, the day after, you know, dealing with one of those types of nights and you know trying to leave for work uh, and get there because I, I live in scranton the you know the the office in wilkes Bear. so you know it takes you know 40 40 minutes or so to get to get there and park and everything so uh i'm chasing this dog around 
And so I'm chasing her all over the neighborhood. Uh, we're, we live right on Main Avenue. So the dog's darting in and out of cars. And I'm like, my heart's in my throat because I'm like, okay, she's just one tire away from getting her head crushed. Like, it was a nightmare. So for the next few hours, it was us chasing this dog, trying to get the dog back. So finally we did. And, uh, you know, it was a few, it, it took a few hours, but I had called everybody. I told Sarah, like, hey, you know, here's what's going on. Like, you know, whatever. And, uh, and I came in to a lecture from George about being late. And it was like, you're just busting my balls at this point. You know, the situation, you know, what went on today and you're, you're busting my balls about this. But then he would, he would also like, he was so weird, uh, as a manager, not unlike Joe, who was, you know, always there, you can never find him. Uh, he was never around when I needed him. Uh, he was just constantly out of his office on lunch and just hours and hours gone, just, you know, didn't care, <laughs> left us all in a twist in the wind. And uh, any concern that I had, I felt like he was just rolling his eyes like, yeah, whatever. Uh, at one point, he invited me to these meetings, which then became meetings upon meetings upon meetings. And that was another, you know, another mismanagement by Civitas Media. Which I mean, what the fuck is a Civitas anyway? I don't even know where that <laughs> is. terrible name. Um, but he uh, would call these meetings, and it was just like everybody from every paper had to sit there and listen to everybody else talk about their papers and stuff. And I'm like, what are we accomplishing here? And uh, it was, and then on top of that, then I'd get an email: send me everything that you're working on this week. So then it became, okay, now on top of all the work that I have to do and dealing with the hub and dealing with everything else, now I also have to type up a report every week <laughs> to tell you what kind of content is there for you to ignore. He never responded to any of these emails. So yeah. I don't even know. Like, it, it, Yeah. So it, it got to the point where I realized I, he was trying to find a way to fire me. He was trying to find a way to, to, to push me out. And Gosh, so before we get to that, before we get to that. Mm-hmm. I got. I got to get this. This beer's getting to me. I got to get a real quick pee break. Mm-hmm. That's a good idea. Ten seconds. I should do pa- that. Too. I'm gonna pause and we'll come right back. All right. All right. All right. Cool. Sorry about that. That was uh, the most relieving. Uh, <laughs> yes, I've taken a long time. Uh, sorry. Uh, so you were saying, um, George, and he was never around blah, blah, blah. And that you were now required to kind of tell him uh, via email or whatever, what you were doing every week. Yeah. Like everything at all times. And then it was like, then he was popping in my office all the time. And it just it always seemed to be a criticism. It always seemed to be, and he'd say it in the worst ways possible. You know, it wasn't like Joe where if he had something, you know, to say, he'd say it in a constructive way or a firm way. And it didn't feel like, uh, you know, you're, you're uh, being mean or you're spanking me or whatever. It, it was, you know, uh, done in a, a, a magnanimous way. He, uh, you know, George was just not a good manager in any way, shape or form. And I felt like he was hurting the main product as well. I felt like the Times Leader was suffering as a paper. I felt the other papers were suffering under his leadership. Um, I just didn't feel like he was the best fit 
for that much responsibility. And then when you wanted him to take some responsibility, he wasn't there. Um, so I kind of knew at like, this guy's gunning for me, you know, what do I do? And I thought, you know, the only thing I can do is work harder and show that there's nothing that I, that there's no reason to fire. You might not, you've decided because I slightly disagreed with you on something in the nicest way possible that I'm your enemy. Uh, I'm just going to be super nice to your face. I was always nice and complimentary and was never mean and was never, you know, no, fuck you, buddy. Like none of that type of stuff. I was always uh, the good soldier. And, and, I, and I can vouch for that too. I mean, you were never uh, one to kind of go against the grain. Um, I'm sure that, you know, you were in a situation where you were kind of more jaded than, than, you know, the time that I knew you and the time I was around you. Right. But again, I mean, you're not looking to, to cause waves. So. Yeah, because there was nothing I could do about the situation. You know, it is what it is. And but it, I kinda, kinda, it sucks that you were, you were kind of like baited almost because like, you know, yes, it was very, I like, think that's what it was. Very is, casual. If you poke the bear long enough, eventually he's going to bite. And I felt like that's what he was trying to do was to get me to fuck up in some big way that he could say, all right, this guy's out of here. But he couldn't do it. He couldn't find anything because no matter how many more meetings or reports he wanted me to do, I kept doing it on top of everything else that I had to do and on top of the pressures of dealing with the hub and everything. And so, um, so he, the way he got me was he restructured the department. So I went to Warp Tour, which uh, was something I did every year. I I always covered Warp Tour and did all the interviews and the hot sun and stuff like that. And that was always a good time. And I always had fun doing those types of things. And you were meeting people on the fly. And sometimes people you didn't even prepare to interview, but you have the opportunity and they're right there. So you just do it. And so I was preparing all this coverage and I started, uh, you know, obviously I'm updating social media because, you know, I was uh, one of the only people in the company that seemed to understand that just posting articles to Facebook is not enough, that you have to no. actually post other kinds of content. Too. You got to be a social on social media. Yeah. Weird. And Weird. So uh, the connection up at the pavilion is not that great. This is at Montage Mountain. And the connection, uh, the internet connection is not great up there. And so uh, I had trouble posting to the social media. I didn't realize till I was, so I was told in the middle of it to whatever you're doing, stop it and come in. So now I had to cut my coverage in half. I had planned to do interviews and stuff all day. So like, you know, two or three o'clock or whatever, I had to, I had to leave. I think I had to be there by like three o'clock and get back to the times later. And I thought, all right, this might be it. And at that point, I realized none of my social media posts were going through because they had taken away all my permissions while I was gone. So like a coward, he waited until I was out of the office. He knew specifically that I was going to be out of the office on this day to do this coverage because I had to tell him everything that I was doing. If I was taking a shit, he had to know about it. Uh, so they knew I was going to be out of the office and without access, direct access to a computer. So that's when they deleted all my permissions from the Facebook and Instagram and everything else. 
Really? So, so on my way there, I was kind of preparing for the worst and was like, uh, I, I think I know what's coming, but I just want to know why. I just want to know, like, what did I do to deserve this? You know, like, a, it, it felt like an abusive relationship where it was like, you keep getting smacked and smacked and smacked and you, you go, well, it's my fault. I'm sorry. It's my fault. And that's kind of my, was my mindset at that point. It was just like, what did I do? Like, I did everything for this company. Uh, two years ago, Lackawanna, two years the weekender, uh, years of freelancer. I busted my ass for this company. I did everything right. You know, like, wh- I, why don't I deserve this? Why don't I deserve a job doing what I wanted to do? And this was at a you know point where George knew that I was going to get married, um, that I had a wedding planned in a few months. Uh, he knew that you know I obviously wasn't making the 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 best money, and that there's not a lot of opportunities for journalists. And I came in, and he sat me down and put a piece of paper in front of me and said, "Yeah, I'm restructuring the department." So he his carried out his plan of I'm going to combine the features and the weekender and you're not a part of that plan. And so because of one comment several months ago, that wasn't, wasn't an ultimatum. He didn't come in and say, if you don't do this, you're fired. Or if you don't do this, we're going to move on without you. I didn't really have a choice in this. I would just gave my opinion and what I thought was just a regular conversation between two employees but apparently that was the beginning of my end. Uh, so he said, you know, I'm going forward with this anyway. And I, and sadly, uh, the first thing out of my mouth was not, what am I going to do? Was, oh, what, what's the future of the weekender? What's going to happen to it? Because that's how much I cared about that paper. That's how much I gave a shit about that paper. I wanted to know what the future was, like what's going to happen. I thought, Maybe in a slight chance, maybe they're going to discontinue the weekend or maybe they're going to stop printing it. And that's why they're getting, you know, like I couldn't think of a better job that I could have done. So who could they replace me with that could be any better than what I was doing? And, uh, this, oh yeah, we're, we're, we, we're going to, you know, hire somebody else and, and, uh, here's your severance, sign this paper or you don't get anything. So I, real quick, I mean, <laughs> this is strange because again, this is a timeline where I was not involved at all. Sure. So I'm, I'm like, I'm kind so of you're not about this for the first time. Yeah. Really. Again, because I, I just, I, you know, I always, I moved on before this mm-hmm. happened, and it's for me, the weekender will forever be that girlfriend who cheated on you that you fucking hate, but you also still <laughs> love. Yes. And much like you just said, I always very similar. I always prayed for the day that it would just cease to exist. And I don't know if you know this or not, but it kind of has. It it, it kind of stopped printing before the pandemic last year. Um, yeah. It stopped printing. It was being updated online. Uh, and then pandemic kind of expedited the situation where it just, you know, would no longer print. Yeah. And they've done a very poor job, at, if, if, if at all, about upload or updating the website. So, right. RIP weekender. Um, but so, so it'd be one thing if, if, you know, you got pulled into this meeting, said, Hey, Rich, you know what? We appreciate what you've done over the years. 
um, we just kind of feel like we need to go in a, a, a different direction. Like, yeah. But it kind of, it kind of what, from what you're saying kind of sounds like, you know, like you're initially your job is just kind of like we're restructuring and like, yeah, your position is not needed, but the same sentence, it's like, yeah, you're not, a, you're not, you're not the guy we're going to hire somebody else. Yeah. But it is, see, see, that's the thing is, is yeah, he presented it as we're restructuring. What they're really doing is they're just changing your job type. Right. So, so that was his weaseling way of getting out of, you know, actually finding a reason to fire me and then firing me. Cause I think he didn't, I, I think, and I, and I, I almost, I, I really do feel it was a personal thing that he didn't want me to have a severance, that he just wanted to fire me and say, you did something wrong and you don't deserve any, any other money. Get out of here. And he didn't want to, he didn't want to do that. He couldn't do that. He couldn't figure out a way to do that. So this was his way of getting rid of me and begrudgingly having to give me something. So I had to sign the paper because obviously I don't know what I'm going to do for money. So I have to sign this paper, whether I like it or not. And I signed it for X amount of dollars. I'm not going to say what it was, but it wasn't great. (laughs) It was a couple of months of pay, essentially. And that was it. I got half of that money. I never received the other half. Really? And when I called them months later, this was months after I was gone. I said, I, I stopped receiving, I, I didn't, I, I received half of this money and I never received the other half. And they said, Oh, um, we made a mistake in the number that we gave you. Uh, it should have been half that. I said, Well, even if that's true, which I don't think it is, I signed a contract. I right. signed a paper that says you have to pay me X amount of dollars. Uh, essentially, they said tough shit. And that was the end of that conversation. So I never got the other part of that severance that I earned by doing, you know, all this blood, sweat and tears over the years. So that was a real like on top of everything else. That was just the absolute fuck you. Fuck you, you prick. Hope, hope, hope that nothing, nothing but bad things happen in the future. Like it was not even it was not cordial at all. Well, and I'm assuming that you didn't go after them. And that was, I, I, what I did was I called a bunch of lawyers and said, you know, here's it cost, the, it, it costs you more the, to do it. Yes. And that was what they said was like, you, you know, buddy, we, we agree with you. You absolutely have the legal right, but, um, this is a pittance and you're going to pay me more to go after these guys than it would be to just call it a day. So that's what I had to do. So, uh, I remember it distinctly. Uh, I went to my computer and I backed up everything that I had on a, a, a drive, every, all my writing that I had done that was saved to that computer. I, I might've missed a few things, but I, I hastily did it. Cause I figured the next thing is they're going to have some security guy walk me out of here. Like, you know, to make this even more humiliating, whatever. The worst part was, is through all these ridiculous meetings that he put me through over the years, I felt like at least it does does one person at the times leader have the courage to stand up to this guy does one person have the courage to say i don't think you're doing this right or maybe you did this guy dirty nobody stood up for me nobody cared nobody said a word they they knew what was happening 
And they all just put their heads down at the desk and ignored me and pretend I didn't exist as I walked out the door with my tail between my legs. Who, who, was, that, still there, who was still there that would have known the work um, that you put in over the years? I mean, practically everybody in the newsroom. I mean, uh, I have obviously gotten to know these people over the years because uh, between sharing stories through Golakawana, which we often did because uh, the Times leader usually didn't send reporters down to Scranton. They just had us handle all of the Scranton area, Lackawanna County area. So uh, we were constantly in contact with those people up there. And then, you know, through the weekend or same sort of thing. It as the uh, departments got smaller and smaller, they made us uh, share more and more resources. So uh, and and Sarah uh, had a great relationship with the TL people because she was part of that newsroom for a long time. So you know uh, through through that type of stuff, I, I think we had at least gotten to know each other a little bit. Plus all these ridiculous meetings that they had me sit in that were useless to me because it was all news related stuff. And then so, it was like, oh, yeah, and by the way, does the Weekender guy have anything to say? And it's like, uh, I, we're writing about Everclear? And they're like, yeah, okay, whatever. And that was, <laughs> that was the end of that. Like, I don't, I don't know what the purpose of those are to this day. So there, there's, there's someone who would have said, like, yo, like, well, what's going I, on I just, here? I, I felt like there should have been somebody to at least say something. Or at yeah. least be like, is this really the direction you're going to go? Like, cool. I mean... The, the I was I was obviously there till all hours. The few people that you know, the real hard workers at the TL, the ones who had been there 12, 14 hours or whatever, and were still putting the paper together, they were having the same conversations with the hub I was. I got to know them through that too, because we were all having those same conversations. We're right next to each other. So there was definitely a few people, and I'm not gonna call people out and say this guy should have said this or this guy should have well, said no, that. But do you do you also do you also think that maybe that they kind of had the same fear that said, I, hey, yeah, you know what? I think that was that was part of it too, for sure. I think everybody was fearful for their jobs and they didn't want to stick up. But I guess you just feel like you you build as you talked about a family. You know, you build a family. No, no, I hundred percent that. You just feel like it's like somebody, somebody's gotta say something, and nobody cared, you know. And so I, it was just a, a big kick in the ass. I and I get that. I, I I can appreciate where you're coming from, but I also can kind of uh, appreciate the the fear that that some people feel. Like, yeah, you know, I can't I can't imagine, and that's why I got out when I did. I can't imagine, you know, if, if I wasn't able to leave on my own terms, I'd probably have the same discussion you're having with me right now, right. I'm still kind of bitter, and I and I left on my own terms again. I feel like it's the girlfriend who cheated on you that you still hate but you love. <laughs> um, but you know, you, you go back to like these these people who are in fear of you no. Know, oh, jeez, if this guy's getting walked out, like if I say the wrong thing, am I going to lose my job? And they've got families, and they got these other things. And it's like you know, they're probably in their heads. They're probably thinking like, "Hey, Rich, like I wish I could speak up for you because you're a great guy," but in the same sense, like. I, I can't risk losing my financial, right? Um, you know, you, you know, like I, I just I can't risk that. And and sure. so to to go on what you're saying, like I can appreciate you you saying, "Hey, well, I wish someone would have stuck up for me or put their neck on the line for me because of what I did." You probably have to understand that 
you know, they probably couldn't because they're they're seeing a great employee getting walked out the door, and it's like, sure, I can't talk about it because I'll get walked out the door and I can't afford it. Yeah, but you know, it, it's you know, to um, you know, I I really wondered like at that point, um, you know, do I have a future in journalism? Like, am I going to go back to retail? And I honestly had a lot of bad thoughts because uh, retail to me, you know, and I, I res- that's why to this day I respect everybody who's a waiter or waitress or a, uh, you know, anybody from a janitor to, you know, all the way up the line. I respect people who do that type of work because people look down on you. And I can't tell you how many times at uh, Blockbuster, that I got screamed at over late fees that were that person's fault. Uh, you know, that I was like, Hey, I'm just doing my job. I'm the middleman, whatever. And, you know, <laughs> uh, but it was, it was a constant people screaming in your face. So now I've had four years of real experience doing a real job, uh, actually making money, doing what I love, what I'm passionate about, what I, what I graduated college for, you know, what I really wanted to do. To the thought of going back to that and then getting, you know, screamed at, at, you know, uh, a, a grocery store or McDonald's or whatever was just like, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how I could do that. You know, I don't know how I can go back to that because I feel like, at, you know, I was finally making it. And this is, you know, uh, not to, to get too, too personal, but I, I guess that's what you want to do with these, these interviews. You want to get a little more in depth. Sure. Uh, you know, my family always kind of pressured me to be a teacher because they said, well, if you're, you're going to have a degree in English and, you know, your concentration in writing, you know, you should be teaching people. And I, I have no passion for that. I don't want to teach people. I had plenty of interns and I was happy to show them the ropes and that type of stuff that I, I enjoyed very much. But I didn't want to be a teacher. I didn't want to do the whole, you know, uh, nine to five as, as, as a teacher in front of a classroom, uh, kids who don't care and trying to get them to love Shakespeare and whatever. Yeah, just, rich, rich, you would have got summers off. <laughs> you would have got, you got a pension. Yeah. They say, they say that the rich, summers, rich, know. how dare you? How dare you? I have, I have teachers in my own family, so I know that's <laughs> not true. but there was just always this pressure to, to, uh, you know, to, to do that. Uh, but I, I had no passion for that. I didn't want to do that. So it was like finally my way of saying, hey, look, I finally did it. I made it uh, as a journalist. Uh, I did what I said I was going to do all these years. Uh, you know, uh, it, it took me a long time to get there. And the the week that I started at Go Lackawanna was probably within a month or two of when I was going to default on my my one of my student loans. Because... I just wasn't making enough money. No matter how many extra hours that I put in, I was never going to make that money back. Even if I took a second job uh, at minimum wage, I never would have been able to make those outrageous payments on my school loans. And here I was finally, I was paying the bills. I was moving forward with my life. I was getting, I was going to get married, you know, uh, had this house, you know, making mortgage payments and stuff like that. Finally, uh, I was on my way and have that all ripped out from me overnight, like on top of the career part, you know, <laughs> that stuff aside, just the money side of it was just a nightmare. So, and have to make that phone call, you know, on my way home 
after I got laid off, uh, to make that phone call to my wife was one of the toughest things I ever had to do. Uh, tell her this is, this is the situation. Um, and, and then when I got home, I said, you know, remember that NEK scene thing that I kept talking about? Um, I still have that domain name. I still have the social media for it. That's what I want to do. I want to take the next couple of months, uh, use my severance as my way to pay the bills for the next couple of months. And I'm going to, I'm going to give this thing a shot because I feel like I did everything right. I feel like I poured my heart and soul into this, this project, into the weekender. I thought I, I put out some great stuff and I made some great connections. Local artists understood like, oh, cool. We, we got a guy who's in there who's doing, doing the right thing. We got a guy who loves what we do. We got a guy who's making sure that we get the coverage we deserve, you know, and I wanted to continue that. So I said, well, over the next couple of months, I'm going to work on any PAC and I'm going to update the website, but I'm not going to tell anybody. About it. I'm going to, you know, maybe tell a few close friends, but I'm not going to make it public until September. And at that point, that's when the payments were essentially going to run out. I said, I'm going to launch in September. And then there's going to be a whole bunch of content already on the website, already available. So they're not just going to the page and there's one or two articles. There's dozens and dozens of articles. And I'm going to, to launch then and see if this, see if this clicks with anybody, see if anybody cares, see if maybe all those connections that I made over the last four years made a difference and if those people support me. So I launched it. Well, Rich, before you, before you, before you get to that. Yeah. Oh, before you get to all that. Sure. I, I can't help because as much as I don't know about the, what happened, you know, behind the scenes um, after I was already gone, I, I do know uh, from people inside <clears throat> that like, I, I, I can't help, but want to talk about the fact that, you know, they were, they were restructuring the, uh, the weekend and the position. Yeah. And that meant that you were no longer going to be the editor. But yeah, when I hear restructuring, I'm thinking, <laughs> yeah, you know what? They're, they're restructuring. You know they're they're going to like, you know, if Joby was still there, whatever, whoever might, might've been, maybe it was, uh, what's his face, uh, George, he was going to oversee the editorial responsibilities of the weekender. Yeah. But that's not the case. They hired somebody and I am bringing this up because I think it's important and I'm not, I'm not trying to pull anybody into the mud. I'm not trying to do anything like that, but I think it's important because the person they, they brought somebody in who I, I don't think was qualified for the position. And I, I say that because I'm confident, confident that they weren't because at some point in the weekend or history, there was an article printed that was greenlit by this person. <laughs> and oh yeah, it was not a good situation. So I, I, no. I, I don't want to, I'm not trying to like dig up dirt on people or, you know, no. people into the fold that don't deserve it. But I feel like it's, impo it's important for the conversation. So, yeah. Uh, you know, to, uh, obviously, uh, my origin story with uh, any PA scene 
I guess I'm a comic book guy, so that's why I, I think of it that way. Uh, the uh, ties into the bad direction of the weekender. So within the first month of NEPAC launching, we had over a thousand likes on Facebook. And that's not, an, that was not an easy feat. Um, and then it was 2000, then it was 3000. Like we, uh, we immediately had this, I had this huge response to what I was doing. And it was just doing the work that I had already done for the weekender, but doing it uh, a little more uncensored, a little more free flowing. But digital forward, the idea was really like all the things that I was pitching to the weekender that they didn't want to do because they didn't want to invest the money. They didn't think it was worth it. They didn't think a social media presence was important. Uh, <laughs> it was like blockbuster all over again. Oh, Netflix. Huh, don't worry about them. We're fine. You know, it <laughs> was never, it'll, it'll, it'll never work. Yeah. These kids that are in, oh, they'll, they'll forget all about this Instagram and Facebook and all that shit. Like that's not a, that's not a thing. Movies on your phone. Movie. Get out of here. Yeah, right. Like, they, <laughs> just, it was, it was talking to fucking dinosaurs. So I did all those things. And I, I thought, okay, this will prove to me personally, if I'm an idiot or not, because maybe they're right. Maybe I'm a terrible editor. Maybe I'm a terrible writer. Maybe that, that they didn't need me anymore because they wanted to go in some brilliant direction that was going to shoot them into the stratosphere that was going to take the weekender into the next century. And I was just going to get left behind because I'm, I'm an idiot. Uh, or, or it's going to prove that everything that I was saying they should have been doing years ago is right. And the market wants this and the audience in Northeast PA wants this and we're going to succeed. And right away, we not only had thousands of likes, but um, NEPA BlogCon, we won the uh, uh, best blog award in at NEPA BlogCon within a couple of months of us existing. And this is going, uh, you know, a year-round thing where there's plenty of other blogs that are doing this stuff. But my what what's weird about my background is uh, not to get too far off topic. Before I ever started in journalism. The first thing that I ever did writing wise was blogging. I got on the blogging train before they called it blogging. It still is not called that at any point. The word blog didn't exist yet. Uh, this is the AOL dial up days. Me and, a, me and my cousin uh, loved like stand up comedians and we loved like ranty kind of stuff. So we would post these like rants and we made our own site uh, called That Thin Line. <laughs> and this is so, this is a thing that. Very few people know about me, so you 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 you'll you'll learn this along with a lot of other people. Uh, we did that thin line where it was kind of what people would consider offensive content, uh, where we were writing very strong opinions. It was political, uh, you know. Uh, it, was, it was about politics, religion, all the things that they tell you not to talk about. We would cross that thin line between what you should and shouldn't say. And that was how I got my start in, in blogging. This was, I was like maybe 15 or 16 years old. I'm sure none of that stuff, if it existed on the web, it's long gone now. But if it still existed, I'm sure none of it holds up. And it's probably a bunch of angsty bullshit. But it was my way of like expressing myself at that time, at that point. And then we refined that. By the time we got to college, we turned that into muckmakers, which was... Uh, the, not the muck rakers, but the muck makers. Here are the people that are making the muck in the world. Here are the bad people 
then we need to call out and here's what they're doing wrong. And so it was this very uh, um, ahead of its time, vitriolic uh, political blogging, the kind of stuff that's very common you see today. Uh, you know, we were we were doing that years and years ago. And that's kind of how I got my start in writing. So I had this background of, oh, here's what blogs are doing. And then even when I got into journalism, I still followed a lot of the blogs that I, I followed at that time. I was a very web savvy person. I spent a lot of time on the internet. I'm a, I'm a, a nerd with a very small group of friends. So that was my thing. So when NEPAC launched, I combined what I knew about blogging, what I knew about digital content with what I learned with journalism. Because journalists, uh, newspaper people look down on the bloggers and go like, oh, they're a bunch of kids, a bunch of idiots. They don't know what they're doing. They don't have the background that we do. At the same time, those people look down on the journalists and go, they're a bunch of sellouts. They're a bunch of you know corporate people, whatever. So I kind of had the mindset of why can't we marry the two? Why can't we have the journalistic ethics and the way things are supposed to be written, but done in a way that's accessible to a general audience, that's accessible to a digital audience, that these are the, this is the way people are, are reading things now. You, know, you talked a lot about how the weekender is kind of a Bible at the time of how you found stuff. And, you know, you know, by the time you left, that was not the case anymore. People weren't turning to that anymore. Even when I was there, um, one of the first things, and I don't know if you remember this, but I remember, and I, I'm almost positive it was you who'd said, like, you know, warned me when I came in, essentially, that it ain't what it used to be, you know? And I don't know if those were your exact words, but that it, it it's not what it was 10 years ago or even five years ago. And yeah. I, I'm pretty sure you would warn me at that point coming into it you know it's, it's i don't know if i would have said that as the gm to you um and if i did i, I i'm sure i would have presented it in a way that was saying hey this is not the way it used to be yeah and kind of like a like we need to be different we need to try to adapt and and kind of um think differently than what we used to you know 15 years ago because yeah it's not, it's not what it, it's not what it used to be. No, you know, it, you know, from a company standpoint and from a consumer standpoint, it just wasn't the same thing. I, I, I know for a fact, I would not have said it in a negative way because I, I never would have wanted you to come in. Yeah, that. No, I, I don't think you were trying to discourage me. I think yeah. you were just trying to kind of give me an idea of like, here's what you're in for, you know, like don't expect like, the way it was. Yeah. And I'm, I'm, I'm very transparent as a, yeah, I'm very transparent as a, as a person too. Like I don't want people to be misled. Right. Um, because I would not want that done to me. I, I would not want that done. Um, so I think by saying that was, it was twofold. It was, Hey, um, know what you're getting into and, and B, yeah. um, you got to think differently than what, you know, we're accustomed to so right right and yeah and i i didn't you know uh i i i thought you were great to work with you know on a on a side note like uh you know i know i did a lot of complaining today uh, about it's not uh, i don't some people. i don't think it's a complaint it's 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 reality and 
Yeah. And I, I, I want people to understand that. I want people to understand like, that's how this works. You know, it's not, <laughs> you know, much like uh, I was just listening uh, right before we started. I, I had just finished the Matt Morgus episode and had said how he was warned by a radio guy. Don't get into radio. And this is a guy who's passionate, who loves radio, but he's telling you, don't get into this business because of the situation that it's in now. It's not what it used to be. It's not a great situation. We're not getting paid a lot. It's long hours. And, you know, you, you don't even, you don't get that pat on the back. Like, you, you know, you can barely survive in this thing. If I had to do it differently, maybe I would have gone for something else. And, uh, you know, I kind of have that same message to a lot of the people who want to get into journalism. It's like, uh, I don't know if I can recommend that, but I maybe can recommend trying to do it yourself. I think that that's, you know, the future uh, of arts and entertainment uh, in Northeast PA and beyond. Um, I think arts and entertainment coverage, much like in our schools, how um, the arts are the first to go. Uh, they're never going to cut the football team because that makes money. Uh, but they're going to cut the theater program. They're going to cut the music program. All that stuff goes away unless parents are paying out of their pocket for it or they're doing these crazy fundraisers to keep it going. Um, much in that same way, newspapers have been cutting back and cutting back and cutting back. And this is, we're talking about how many years ago? We're six, seven, eight years ago now. 10, 11, 12. Uh, so yeah. since then, the, 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 we thought we felt the, the, the pressure. Now those newsrooms have shrunk even more. So I've, I've noticed the arts and entertainment going away because obviously the weekender is gone. The Electric City is gone. That was the, the, the Scranton Times' version of the weekender. Their kind of their, their answer to the weekender. That's gone too. Yeah. Which, uh, which never, which never really, let's, let's be honest, that never really, uh, no, it never, never worked off. out. No, it never took off the same way. I don't think it'll ever be as fondly remembered. And 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 that's no offense to the, I, I know some of the people that worked there uh, and they worked very hard and they, they did some great stories, but it, I don't, I feel like it never had the impact that they. Well, no. Had. And it's, it's one of those instances where like, you know, it's like, Hey, like, oh, we can't let them just do that. Like, let's go, let's just try and throw rocks at them. Like, <laughs> Yeah. Well, yeah. hey, do you do you have rocks to throw? Well, no, no, no. We don't have. No. <laughs> let's, not, let's not get out of control. Like I don't know, build build uh, some sticks and and throw them at uh, you know like. Uh, but that's, that's how good. it works, and in, 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 especially in this market, and we'll get into that too. But yes, I don't know if you're you're avoiding the subject on purpose. <laughs> um, and if you are, just say hey, I don't want to talk about it. It's fine. I, again, you can you can ask me anything. I will tell you that. But again, I feel like we we talked about the restructure of yeah. the weekender, and I feel it, and and it was it was not exactly that. It was, hey, we just want to get rid of you to bring in somebody else. Yes. So let's let's so, talk about again. So so me again. Uh, I was at this point. I was gone. Yeah. But um, I, I I heard things from sources because I I'm in media, and uh, I, I definitely want to touch on that. <laughs> okay. So, um, I, I'm, I'm going, uh, I'm at least trying to go in, in kind of mental order. Uh, when I launched APA scene, I really honestly was not paying attention to the weekender because I saw her as the bad ex-girlfriend. At that point, 
she was the ex-girlfriend that broke my heart. And I've had some bad breakups in my life. And this maybe was the worst. I think it, it, it maybe was even worse than the actual, like, I think this person is the love of my life and now they're leaving me for somebody else type of thing. Like this, it was, it was so heartbreaking to me that I felt like if I just ignore them, not that they'll go away, but that I got to do my own thing. And I felt like too much media, as you mentioned, is very tit for tat. Oh, they're doing that. We got to do that too. You, you're doing that. We got to do that story. Oh, they're launching a paper. We have to launch a paper just like that paper. And I feel like that's the wrong direction. That's the wrong thing to do. Yeah. Because you're always going to be seen as copying the other guy. But if you don't, if you put your blinders on, you're doing what you want to do, what you're passionate about, what you love. It doesn't matter what the other guy's doing. People are going to see that and they're going to go, oh, wow, this is genuine. This is real as opposed to this corporate bullshit that they're pumping out over here. This guy actually genuinely gives a shit and wants to put out real content that he thinks people really should care about. And I care about it, too, because he cares about it. And that's what I wanted to do. So I was doing stuff like, you know, we we launched an open mic for local artists. That was something the Weekender never would have fucking considered, (laughs) at least the Weekender that I knew. Would have never considered that, you know, uh, dealing with your everyday public. Anybody could show up at your open mic and you got to promote them. You got to, you know, uh, tell them they're doing a good job, whatever. I found like there was some amazing talent. And one of the things that I discovered that I'm kicking myself for was there was great stand-up comedians in the area. And I didn't know about it until I, I, until we started the open mic at the Woodlands, thanks to my friend John Daw, who was working at the Woodlands at the time, was like, hey, uh, I see you're launching this thing. I have this idea. I want to do this open mic to get people here on Tuesdays because like Tuesdays are dead at the Woodlands. Why don't you come in and slap your name on it, slap, you know, call it the NEPAC open mic, uh, give them some coverage, take some pictures, whatever. Uh, and maybe we could team up in that. And that's how that whole thing launched. And that became one of our, our biggest features. Now, today, it's NEPAC Rising Talent. Uh, we do it at the V-Spot when COVID's not a thing anymore, uh, or at least not what it is now. Uh, we'll get back to it. But it just became a huge hit for us uh, because it was a way to connect to the artist directly. Uh, it was a way to meet people. Uh, and for them to get invested in the site and we were invested in them and it just became its whole thing not to get off topic at the time uh, I wasn't paying attention to what the weekender was doing but you know you go to the woodlands there's a weekender sitting there <laughs> you know eventually yeah I picked up one and flipped through it what the fuck is this what is, what are they doing what is this at that point, I realized that they were, um, uh, the, he, uh, George hired this woman, Sarah, who was not from the area, much like himself, who came in and had no experience, didn't know what to do with it. So she promoted a uh, columnist uh, who I, I guess we'll, I guess we'll, we'll uh, you know, Justin. Justin wrote a frat boy column. It's the best way I could say it. Uh, is like the column of like, hey, I went out and partied and here's my stupid drunk story, you know, that type of thing. 
let's just call it what it is. It was it was Justin Adam Brown, and it was a column called "Sorry, Mom and Dad," which I think it, ha- it had a life. Um, it didn't start off as a douchey column, um, but unfortunately, it kind of ended that way. So let's just call it what it is. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I'll 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 be fair. I'll be fair to Justin. Uh, when I was there. I mean, you know, it, it was there before I started. It was something that started with Mike Lello, I believe. And it continued through Nikki. And uh, when I got there, he was still contributing the column and stuff. And obviously he agreed to do it on the, the lower amount that the freelancers were all cut down to. And uh, he turned it in. And it wasn't necessarily for me. But I always felt like our content needed to be diverse. That it needed to have different uh, different audiences different people were picking up the paper for different reasons. Maybe they didn't care about me interviewing some, you know, metal band or some local band or whatever, but maybe they wanted to read a, uh, you know, I had too many stories, you know? So it had its purpose. And to me, it wasn't offensive. There was one time that um, I got a column that I thought was a little too offensive and I cut out the parts that I thought was offensive. And I said, here's what I'm, you know, he seemed okay with it. I published it, the edited version of that. Um, but there were certain times where he was making certain jokes where I was like, I'm not comfortable putting out this terribly sexist or terribly, um, you know, offensive thing to be offensive. It was one of those kind of like, uh, you know, some jokes were in there. To, like, I, I just want to be offensive. Like, what can I get away with publishing? Right. And under, under my watch, that wasn't going to happen. I wasn't going to do that. And there was one story one time where he uh, made some references to being like mentally handicapped or something like that, which is something like my brother's autistic. So I'm like, oh, I don't want to go there. But the point of the story was like uh, he was the idiot, not this person. So it was like, okay, it was a lesson learned. I'm stupid. They're smart, kind of thing. So, okay, you know that I can get behind. That I that I don't mind publishing. And I I do remember I, the one time uh, in the two years that I was there that I got an email about that from some random person. And I said, well, yeah, okay, I I see your point, but here's why here's why I I decided to go with it. And they never responded. It was, that was the end of that. So it wasn't a, a huge thing. And maybe in retrospect, I should have said fucking fire this guy <laughs> like get this guy out of here who gives a shit about this column maybe uh, and that's me but i always felt like ah, it's a legacy thing uh it's been here through two editors um you know it's a thing that maybe has its own audience you know it's hard to tell because um our website was total shit uh, the weekenders website was garbage and that was another thing uh i constantly fought with the people who were in charge of that to get the site fixed and it never got fixed. Uh, archives would disappear at all times. So there were things that we should have been getting web traffic from that we never did because they wouldn't do it. I mean, to this day, I, to this day, and this bothers the fuck out of me. If you go to the timesleader.com, they publish the photos that are made for print. Now, when you, when you, uh, for those who don't know, uh, when you go to print, you take a photo uh, and you kind of wash out the, co- you bring out the brighter colors and you wash out some of the other colors. So then when it actually prints on newsprint, it looks correct. 
like it looks like the right colors. But if you were to look at that picture, it's total garbage. Like you took all, you, you messed up all the colors on it. To this day, the Times Leader still publishes the photos that are meant for. That's how shitty and backwards the website is. To this fucking day, uh, they still can't get that right. Like, take the delete those photos when it goes to the web. Publish the ones that are the actual photos that the photographer took all this time to take and make it look good. And uh, but they they still don't do that to this day. But anyway, um, I maybe in retrospect should have said, sorry, mom and dad is gone, <laughs> but I did. And I, I, may, I, I don't know why, maybe because I was dealing with literally everything else that I just said for the past couple hours. Uh, so it really didn't occur to me. It was just like, yeah, OK, it's it's something that fills a space. It has an audience. I'm sure <laughs> I don't know because. They won't send me the numbers. I can't tell what's doing well and what's not doing well because I never get those numbers. I can't, you know, the web people are just non-existent. So uh, Sarah, when when she took over the weekend, or, and this is not Sarah, the staff writer that I hired. This is the Sarah that George hired from out of the area. She didn't know anything about the area. So she hired Justin full time. and. Uh, you know, I don't, I don't, I, I, some, I guess it had to do something from what I hear from sources in the paper at the time that it was a thing that George really liked him, you know, uh, so he wanted to, he wanted to see him in the office every day. So uh, they decided to hire him as the staff writer. So he essentially created uh, his own version of what he thought the weekender should be. Uh, I think in I think he honestly thought he was doing what the weekender should be like. Oh, we're the alternative, so we should be doing like outrageous stories. We should be doing gossipy stuff. We should be doing outrageous stuff that offends people. We should be doing things that grab people's attention because uh, that's you know the TMZ type stuff that that you know pulls people in. Um, I've always been against that kind of stuff because uh, that stuff is fleeting. It it it, it might get the traffic at first, but then people eventually figure out this is garbage and they, they stop supporting it. And the people that do feed into it, you're attracting negativity. You're attracting negative people okay. saying negative things and you're just breeding negativity. And I, I just feel like that's the wrong direction, but that's the direction that they took the weekend or while I was launching an EPA scene. So the content became offensive to be offensive, you know, and I'm not an easily offended guy. I'm really not. I love super offensive stand-up comedy and things like that. I'm not offended uh, by practically anything. But it was stuff that was like, oh, wow, I never would have got away with this when I was there. But for some reason, he's getting away with it. So it was, it was adding to that resentment of like, I got fired for doing the very best work that I could possibly have humanly done. This guy gets away with printing this garbage. And they're just pumping it out there like they think it's the greatest thing on earth. And right away, the, the reason that I heard so much about it was my readers, people telling me, oh, wow, you're, what you're doing is light years ahead of what they're doing. What are, like, I can't believe what they're publishing. Because I was, a, I, you know, I had followed them on social media. I blocked everybody that not, you know, people that I worked with that I loved, but all of those, the toxic people that I dealt with over those last couple of years at the TL, 
I blocked all those people on social media because I didn't want to see them. I didn't want to deal with them. Uh, and I didn't want to know what the other guys were up to because I didn't want it to taint my content either. I didn't want it to influence what I was doing at all. But it just became so loud that you couldn't ignore it. And that's when they published the infamous uh, article where uh, Justin wrote a story uh, that was essentially stolen valor. Um, he wrote a story where he uh, he said that he went to a bar and he was wearing an army jacket and a guy who was, you know, drinking at the time was like, oh, let me buy you a beer, veteran, like fellow vet, like, you know, thanks for serving our country. And he thought to himself, <laughs> free drinks? Great. I'm going to, I'll pretend to be a veteran and keep getting those free drinks. And um, that story went viral for absolutely the reasons they did not want it to go viral. Uh, it made Fox News. Uh, it made a whole bunch of, uh, you know, major news sources. It went overseas. Uh, I, I, you know, I don't know if it was the Daily Mail, but it was like a site like that picked it up. Like, you know, it was in K, like everybody was talking about the, the weekend for the wrong reasons. And um, my perspective was not only was I angry about it being this shitty, terrible article about this terrible thing that he was bragging about, but that it got through editorial, that they published it. They replaced me with the woman who let that go. Who, who said, yeah, you know what? That's a great story. Let's publish that. I'm proud to put my name on that. I thought a bunch of typos were offensive to my name. Right. This woman thought, sure, stolen valor? <laughs> That's funny. That's a great story. Let her definitely hear that. <laughs> like, at no point did she have the foresight to go, holy shit, this is a bad idea. Right. <laughs> At no point. Like, she not only was not offended to it, but approved it. Or, or which I feel is the, the actual story, and maybe maybe she'll read this and correct me. I don't think she ever read it. I don't, I don't think, I don't think anyone ever read it. I think it was, I think everything was on autopilot. Because George was out of the office all the time. I'm sure she was too. <laughs> I'm sure they were checked out having drinks uh, during happy hour while everybody else was working their asses off. I sincerely doubt anybody, anybody in their right mind would have read that and go, yeah, sure, that's fit for publication. Well, from what I understand, um, you know, she also um, was involved in happy hours and not, um, you know, on the other the side of the bar that we would be on drinking beer, but uh, the person serving them. That mm. was her, that was her, that was her, uh, resume was, uh, that know, was her background. <laughs> that, well, her, her experience to be qualified for the editor job of the weekender was right. a, uh, bartender at like a Fridays. Nothing wrong with that. Nothing no. wrong with, no. Hey, you know, I know, I know a lot of bartenders. I am not this. That's not a knock on them. Cause guess what? Like, I think that they make a lot more money than, you know, idiot people go to <laughs> make more money than I do. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Dude. I mean, that's why they're bartenders. Yep. And people say, Oh, well you're a bartender in your forties. Well, guess what? They're making more money in their forties than you are in <laughs> your forties, yeah. you know, working a full-time job. Absolutely. So what I'm saying is not a knock on that. 
But, yeah. you know, when you're saying, hey, we want you to come work as the weekender or as an editor for the weekender or any product for that matter. Yeah. Um, what are your credentials? And you right. say, I was a bartender. And like, <laughs> All right. That, that works. Like, yeah. uh, I mean, that, that's why people go to school. That's why people get degrees. Exactly. Exactly. So that's why I was in so much debt. <laughs> you know, yeah. So they can say, you know, hey, so I've done this good. job for so many years. That's why I'm qualified for this now. Right. And I mean, I mean, I wouldn't, I wouldn't expect to be uh, qualified to be a spaceman. Like, <laughs> right. So let's all let's make sure. I'm, again, I'm not trying. I'm not. I'm not at all saying anything wrong with the bartender or anything like that. I wouldn't be, expect to be qualified to be a spaceman, right? Or a space woman, or a space person. Yeah, I mean, bartenders are qualified to be therapists for sure. Yes, <laughs> more so than most people with degrees. But yes, maybe maybe <laughs> not in this case. Yes, the editor of a paper to just jump into that. So, um, what? Uh, even before even before that incident actually happened. Um, and it might, I think it was right, but it was maybe a couple of months before, um, the weekender awards came up again and they had a category best blog. And so I, you know, as, as petty as I wanted to be, I was like, I don't even fuck, whatever they're doing their stupid thing every year. I know when it comes up because I was there, you know, for how many years, but I'm not doing any of that stuff. I, I personally don't want to get involved in any of the award stuff or whatever. We sponsor the Steamtown Music Awards every year, which is great in itself. But Joe Caviston and Kenny Norton and all those guys handle that stuff. We just we're, we just promote it. We don't have any involvement in that process. So, um, so the Weekender Awards came up. And I got an email one day from the Weekender. You won. You, you have this. <laughs> you won best blog. And the funny thing is, is it's, it says any PAC, and it obviously does not say Rich Howells. So I don't know if they knew that it was me. I don't know if they were following me at this point. I don't know. But I, I so uh, I, I was like, I'm going to go fucking accept this because this is just pure. I, <laughs> I, I did not ask for a vote. I, I will stand by that. I did not ask anybody to vote for me. I didn't know it was, I, I honestly had completely forgotten that it was going on at the time. Uh, they were just running their thing and they happened to have this best blog thing and I won. So I went and uh, I saw Sarah and I shook her hand and, you know, it was very cordial. Oh, thank you for the award or whatever. So, you know, I, uh, you know, I only had a few seconds there between the, you know, all those, how chaotic those things are and how many people are coming and accept awards or whatever. I said, can you do me a favor? Can you, I, I noticed that your, your website still lists me as the editor. I would really appreciate it if you took my name off that because I've moved on since then and I'm doing so much better and I really don't want to sully my reputation. Uh, so that was the only time I was kind of petty. <laughs> I was like, I really don't want to slay my reputation. Could you please take my name off of that? Uh, I believe I gave it in a note, actually, because I didn't want to like interrupt everything that was going on. 
cause a scene or whatever. I didn't know how they were going to react. But I, I gave them an enough. The next day, my name had disappeared from the website. So they, well, they got the they got the message. It's good because it's it's, just, it's interesting that they took your uh, credentials away off your email and the social media, but they didn't care to take your Yeah, name. but they forgot about the website because their website sucks. It's always <laughs> sucked. It continues to suck to this day, even though it doesn't exist anymore. Uh, there's still a week, uh, the weekender.com and it's still, uh, it's a bunch of AP stories now. It's not, yeah. I checked it the other day out of curiosity. And then, uh, I won it the next year. <laughs> back to back champion. <laughs> so, so I, I went and accepted it again, which they had to begrudgingly give me after this terrible incident, <laughs> just Adam Brown. And then the third year, I'm pretty sure I won again. They, after they had taken the votes for it, they deleted the category and never announced a winner for best blog in 2017. They just seemed to forgot about that. Sure. Coincidentally, they just forgot that, that existed. So I'm pretty sure I won that year and they were probably sick of me smugly going in and taking this thing <laughs> off of the room. So they were like, okay, yeah. You know, well, at that, at that point, it's like, it's just funny because it's like, it is. It's being, a standard. The uh, <laughs> like the, the canceled editor, uh, yeah, yeah, comes in. Except it's almost like a uh, an onion story, you know. It is. It, is. it was such a joke, and like, I, and that's and that's how I took it. I I found former, it. Amusing. I didn't care at this point. It was like I had moved on. Uh, I love any PA scene. It's my life now. That's what I've been doing for the past six years, which is now longer than I ever spent at the Times Leader Family Papers. Um, yeah, so let's let me. I didn't get my my charger for my computer, so let's take a real, real real quick pause, and then we'll come back and talk about any piece scene. Sure. All right, one second. All right, we're back. Sorry, I was not expecting. Well, actually, you know what? I was expecting to go this long. <laughs> but I uh, yeah, I hope somebody's still listening. Uh, well, I gotta see about all these things. Um, I don't really care. I mean, for the weekender stuff. I mean, I assume that weekender people will listen to it. I don't. I don't imagine I would get many listeners outside of that. But even in like the regular podcast with bands. I mean, I hope for the band's sake that they, or if it's a business owner, like I hope they get you know something out of it. But sure. at this point in my life, um, I'm doing it for me, and uh, I hope to grow it to the point where people can, uh, you know, benefit as well. But yeah. Um, Speaking about benefiting, let's let's talk about what you've been doing with NAPA scene uh, because it's been great. Um, you said six great. or seven years now. Um, yeah, so uh, six years. This will be our seventh year uh, in September. So yeah, so it's a com- it's a completely independent NAPA scene um, yep. online website uh, entertainment online only. No no costly print. Yes. <laughs> so. Tell us a little bit about what you're doing today um, with the, the site and um, what, you, what you what your plans are for the future. Because I know COVID and all that kind of shit has really affected everyone, and I'm sure it's impacted you as as being an entertainment website. So sure. talk about NAPA scene, what you've what you've done, and uh, what your plans are for the future. So. Um you know, as I had said, um, NEPA scene was con- conceived before, uh, long before I even started at the Weekender. 
So uh, it wasn't, you know, I'm sure there's probably some people out there who are like, oh, well, you just copied the weekend or you stole that idea, you know, just made it digital. And that's that was never the goal of APA scene at all. APA scene was my way of combining my blogging experience with my journalism experience and doing it the way I wanted to do it um, that I never could do, you know, and we not to say that I didn't have any kind of freedom at Go Lackawanna or The Weekender, um, but it was still under watchful eyes. (laughs) And, you know, I still had bosses to answer to. And everything like that. So it wasn't uh, completely mine. And uh, and it could be taken away from me at any time, and it was. <laughs> so it wasn't truly mine in that sense. Any uh, PA scene was my way of like putting my personal mark on my work and what I wanted to put out in the world. And it was telling, you know, sometimes uh, I would do long-form stories and as I joked earlier, not everybody reads those because they just read headlines and they don't actually click on the articles. But for those people that do, I hope that they're rewarded with uh, articles that are a little more in depth than they're going to find in other local media and that it's going to be done differently, that the coverage is different. Uh, when we, we started uh, the NPAC podcast, it was originally an audio only podcast. Uh, at 258 Studios, uh, which uh, was fun, but a very different form, uh, you know, very long form format. Uh, and uh, my co-host uh, was uh, Marky Denenbaum and uh, Lauren Corolico uh, also uh, was a co-host for a while too. And so there was a lot of voices in there <laughs> and a lot of like different ideas of what the show should be and stuff like that. Uh, so uh, eventually, Marky just got too busy and was like, I frankly can't do this anymore. Um, so uh, at that point, we moved to Cole Creative. And that's when I relaunched the podcast with uh, you as a co-host and uh, Brittany Boop, because I always feel like a female voice is important to have. And Brittany was a friend of mine and a very fun-loving friend. So I thought she's going to add some kind of different energy to it. So um, we did it as a live streaming podcast where it was video and audio that uh, you can tune in in different ways and you could interact with us too. The, the, the previous podcast was all pre-recorded and we just uploaded it, listened to it. This was our way of kind of interacting a little bit. And giving you, hey, you can, you can comment and we'll talk about your comments and stuff like that. And, um, and it, was, it was interesting to get used to, to different co-hosts and figuring out that too and you know in retrospect maybe uh i feel like maybe i should give you a little bit more of a voice or Brittany more of a voice because i always i i overwrite uh and that's that's uh, a downfall of mine is i when i do an interview i write like two hours worth of questions for a one hour interview so uh, a lot of times i was trying to fit in a lot and i was hoping like uh, okay, I, I maybe wasn't leaving you enough of a window <laughs> to contribute as much as I wanted well, to. In the, in the same sense, not that, that you didn't contribute, but that uh, sometimes I think I maybe overtook it a little bit. Well, I mean, for me, I mean, I never thought that because, like, for me, it was it was your show. It was any piece seen as your baby. It was it was your idea, uh, and I was kind of along for the ride, and I kind of appreciated everything that I was 
kind of offered in, in that ride. Um, I never felt that I wasn't given a fair shot or anything like that. Like, so, I mean, oh, we're good. I'm glad. Yeah. I mean, it was that's probably just me overthinking things. Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. yeah. I mean, the, there's been other points in my life where I've been part of things um, where I've, uh, I'll, I'll use the word donated time because I was never paid for it. Um, yeah. Where I gave a big voice to, and I gave a lot of effort to that. Um, that person to this day still has not paid me for. Um, but that's for another day. <laughs> I'm sure it'll come. Another day. Yeah, yeah, definitely. And anyone who knows me understands what that is. Oh, I know means. exactly what you're talking about. <laughs> <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, I mean, I, I aired that laundry uh, with Jane uh, <laughs> in the podcast with her. and But yeah, I mean... I gotta go back. Yeah, I uh, I was really hesitant to do it, but I'm like, you know what? Fuck it. Like, it is what it is. I'm not I'm not speaking any lies. It's not like, I'm, yeah. Uh, and at that point, I tr- I tried to also hear the other side of the story because I was like, maybe maybe my 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 thought process behind it is is different from theirs, right? And uh, they weren't willing to um, do that. So I was like, well, I guess my side is the right side. So welcome. <laughs> right. But back to what we're talking about. I, I never, yeah. I mean, NAPA scene was, was your thing. And I was just thankful to be, to be part of it. I think it was a, a great opportunity for me to um, be introduced to people that I knew uh, as well as people that I didn't. I remember yeah. I, I got to, uh was introduced to Amanda Rogan for, you know, for instance, just, you know, one in particular, um, and you know, her, her music uh, thing is called sweet nest. And I thought her album was from front to back phenomenal. Um, I got to, I got to meet, um, (laughs) Alex Seeley, um, through you, which unfortunately we, we lost just recently, um, to a battle of cancer, which is very unfortunate. Um, Alex too, he, he contributed so much, uh, great photography to the website early on. And I've been working on this, uh, not that I feel that there's a time limit to these things. Um, but I've been working in the last couple of weeks on like a tribute to Alex. And, uh, obviously I wanted to get it out. You know, uh, he, he passed away a couple of weeks ago, uh, cancer. And uh, he was on our infamous photography podcast. I'll yes. say that because yes. <laughs> there were some things that were said on that show that I guess riled some people or whatever. Um, never meant to be. Uh, I didn't know about it till after the fact, honestly. Uh, but uh, Alex was uh, in a, in a, a great contributor to that show. And uh, quick, you know, funny story. He, uh, his, uh, while he was parked outside, uh, for the podcast, his car got smashed into, like somebody just drove right into his car and just fucked up his car uh, (laughs) while he was doing the show. And after the show, to tell you what kind of guy Alex is, he was like, oh yeah, um, my car got smashed. So, uh, maybe somebody give me a ride. 
I would have been freaking the fuck out. I would have been like, holy what the fuck, fuck? The cars fuck, holy fuck, fuck, fuck you, fuck you, fuck Yeah, I would have been freaking the fuck out. Uh, he was cool as a cucumber <laughs> and was just like, yeah, yeah, you know, whatever, sure. Shit happens. That's funny. <laughs> you know, like, that's just the kind of guy he was. But, yeah, uh, great dude. Great dude. Uh, yeah, I'm glad you, I'm glad you got, uh, you felt that you got stuff out of it. Because, uh, you know, I always felt you were an important contributor to the show. Uh, and you all, you, you, you helped us get our sponsors, which was uh, important to me. Because, uh, you know, and I'll put this out there. Like, I've ne- I've barely 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 ever scraped together a living on it because i'm not a salesman i'm not good at asking people for things uh, you with your ad background you know you with your sales background were able to secure me some money when i absolutely needed it and you didn't take a dime for it i will always be forever grateful for that no man I, you know i, I don't want to say this as like that's the kind of guy I am. Um, because it's not, it's not how I operate. Um, and it goes back to, you know, my relationship with the, the business I was just joking about how I worked for free for three years. And that person basically stole my time. Right. And my name and my connections and my networking, uh, you know, people. Um, you know, I were very upfront with that. Like, you know, you, it was an NPA scene podcast and I was a, I was a co-host for that. Um, I was able to, you know, like I said, uh, secure a, um, sponsor. And I, this, this was your full-time gig. And I knew that I had a full-time job. Um, the money for me was not like, I, I knew it would go, a, you know, a long way for you. And again, I was just happy to be, part of it i really was um i got a lot out of it i think it helped me to do what i am doing now i mean i started with you in march of 2017 i launched a radio show in august of 2017 so i I think a lot of what i learned from doing that experienced that with you helped me do that too so i mean i got a lot out of it i mean i was i was definitely you know Money was not, you know, exchanged, but that's not what I wanted. I mean, I, I, that's not what I wanted out of it. <laughs> and and I, I'm, I'm thankful that, you know, you were able to, to kind of benefit from that. And yeah. Well, you know, and that's, that's the thing I want to stress with people, much like uh, the uh, radio hosts told Matt Morgus, like, I wouldn't recommend, uh, running this type of uh independent online publication uh to get rich (laughs) it's never going to happen uh and that was never my intent uh i've always kind of lived very frugally uh uh, you know the most that i spend money on is uh you know maybe a a couple of craft beers and uh comic books uh some action figures here and there but uh i don't live very excessively uh, uh, and, and that's the only way that I've been able to do any PA scene. If, if my wife wasn't as supportive as she was, I never would be able to do this full time. 
Uh, yeah, let's talk about that a little bit. Just and I'm not trying to cut you off, but I feel like no, no. it's very important to kind of uh, acknowledge that um, because not everyone would be able to do what you do without the support system that you have. No, it's your, it's your wife. So this Tanya, and, and this Tanya. Between, yeah, between Tanya. You know, Tanya, uh, you know, understood what I wanted to do and understood that I wouldn't have been happy doing something else. Like, yeah, maybe I'd make more money being a registered jockey somewhere, you know, um, but that I would hate my life. <laughs> that uh, I, I would just be so miserable and kind of accepted that. Like, okay, I'll support you in this, you know, and anytime we do anything, whether it's a fundraiser or, a, you know, when we sell t-shirts, you know, she's the one helping me bag the t-shirts and, you know, put the stamp on them and send them out to people. And, you know, she's doing a lot of the behind the scenes stuff that people don't see and that I'll be uh, forever grateful for. But, uh, you know, and, and a lot of friends of mine, uh, you know, Jason Reedmiller is a friend of mine that goes back to the Go Lackawanna days. Uh, we met at one of the work tours. He was assigned, I don't know if he was assigned by Lello or if he was assigned by the Times leader, but he was freelancing at the time and he was covering the, the work tour at the same time. We were, we we essentially took it like, we probably could have used the weekender stuff, but we were like, ah, eh, let's, let's have fun for one day. <laughs> let's, leave the the courtrooms and the fires and the police shit behind and like have fun at work tour for the day. So like we like hung out with Andrew WK and crazy people like that and had a good time with some of the weekender people like Matt Morgus, uh, and Mike Lello and all those guys. And me and Chris Hughes were up there and we met Jason Reed Miller and we're like, okay, he has the same sense of humor we do. We hit it off really well. So he started freelancing for Go Lackawanna which led into when I took over the weekender, I used him as a freelancer for a lot of our, our concert photography. And that led into what he's been doing with, uh, with us ever since he's always been our, one of our main photographers. And we've worked with a lot of other people over the years, Keith Perks, uh, you know, Scott Kucharski is one of our, our current photographers and stuff. And, uh, the NEPA scene has always been kind of a uh, volunteer operation. Whenever people can help out, uh, they help out and uh, and contribute because I'm the, like I'm the guy who I edit everything. Uh, I post all the content. Every social media post is me essentially, except for maybe a couple of things on Instagram for the most part. But everything that you see is me, me, me having to do all you know do all of these things, which is you know skills that I took from the four years that I spent at Galaguan Weekender. So uh, I can't say that none of that stuff paid off or that none of that experience made a difference. Like you know, I know that maybe this is one of the more negative episodes of this particular series, but uh, I, I you know I can't say that I didn't learn a lot from that. Uh, the my problem is is that uh, some of my most of my memories of that are kind of tainted from that. It, much like the, the the girlfriend analogy we keep going back to, like you want to remember the good times, but they kind of get sullied when like she cheats on you and she tells you all these lies and you look back on it and you're like, oh my God, I was so manipulated and so hurt 
in so many ways, it's kind of the same sort of feeling. Uh, so it taints a lot of the good memories that I have of the weekender. But, uh, and I, and I, I had to throw all that stuff out years ago, like t-shirt, the free t-shirts and the, the stickers and all that kind of crap I had laying around. I'm like, I got to get rid of all this stuff. And pretend this doesn't exist anymore. But, um, but you know, now that I'm far removed from that and, you know, way over that the type of animosity or whatever, I'm more or less kind of relating this story to you, not only because you asked, but as kind of a, you know, here's what you might get into in modern journalism these days. You know, they will chew you up and spit you out. And I've known a lot of people since then that have gotten chewed up and spit out by the system. And there's two major newspaper companies in the area. And I'm sorry, they're both guilty of it. <laughs> they both do it. And they do it to some really good people who work really hard and are really passionate. But it doesn't matter at the end of the day. So that's why I feel like uh, stuff like NEPA scene is the future of arts and entertainment journalism in the area, uh, much like the Popco Project. I think that's the future uh, because the other guys aren't going to do the Popco Project. I'm sorry. They're just not, you know. Um, the Scranton Times is not going to do that. The Times Leader is not going to do that because they have other things to do with. They have other things to worry about. And arts and entertainment is just not a priority for them anymore. And that's clear by the weekender going away, the electric city going away. Um, they can launch all their other little, you know, online only websites that are a big ripoff of other things that exist that they want. They can do that. They I don't can, know. What <laughs> they can launch all their, you know, uh, access, whatever to anybody that they want at the end. You're not fooling anybody. Um, uh, it's, it's just a, a way to recycle the same content that you're putting out through other people. Um, and, uh, I'm not, I, you know, I, I think, you know, so a lot of people probably listen to this and be like, Oh God, this guy is bitter, but I'm not. I'm not bitter about it. Uh, it's just that's the reality of it. And I don't think enough people understand the reality of it. I think that's kind of what you're doing uh, with the series in a lot of ways, too. It's just here's the reality. Like, there are some, you know, the people who got out early enough, they had great times. But there were also buyouts back in the day. Uh, the Times Leader used to be owned by Disney, of all companies, back in the day. Yeah. <laughs> so, you know, they, they've been through uh, Knight Ritter is another name that comes up. Uh, there's so many different names and hedge funds and all kinds of uh, things that have uh, buyouts and whatever uh, that have happened over the years. So there's stories from all of those that I'm sure may, and some of, a lot of them will probably never be told because uh, a lot of people don't seem to, to care about the nitty gritty of it. But I, I think it's important because kids are going to school for this stuff right now. They want to learn about this stuff. My advice is to do your own thing. Uh, part of the reason that I got hired at the Times Leader Scranton edition originally, uh, before it became Go Lackawanna, was they were like, oh, you've blogged before? They never read any of my blogs, because if they did, they never would have hired me. But, <laughs> you know, they were like, oh, you know that blogging exists. You know that digital content exists. That was enough for them. They were like, oh, cool. All right. That's You've, you freelance, that helps. You've written some real articles for an actual print paper, but you also have this experience as well. Uh, and they saw that as a positive thing. 
So, you know, you might get lucky and you might get into one of these, these types of things. But I also want to stress too that like it, our area is very unique in the sense that I'm doing a site that it is still in this two paper area, which is very rare uh, to the point where uh, large media sources, uh, big media sources have done stories about that, uh, uh, that we're such an abnormality for the, for the, for the country because most paper, it, most places don't even have a paper. And if you have a paper, there's one paper. The fact that Northeast PA has two papers still, and maybe they're par- barely hanging on by a thread, but they're still there and they're still against each other and they're still trying to compete. Um, it's been interesting enough to, have to find our own place as any PA scene and, and establish our own name and do our own thing. And neither of the companies really like me all that much. They don't like that I exist. Um, the Times leader, when when George uh, and Sarah were still employed at the, the, the Times leader, um, they did copy some of my content. Uh, they played, uh, Sarah blatantly plagiarized one of my stories. Um, they stole photos that I, my, my photographers took for any PA scene. Uh, they published them uncredited to those photographers, uncredited to any PA scene. And they did these things to poke at me and to, to say, to, to further give me that finger and say, fuck you. We don't like that you exist. And look, we can do this because we know that it's going to cost you money to go after us. You hire a lawyer or somebody like that. That's going to cost you money you can't afford. So we can do whatever we want. And they poked and poked and poked. But um, I ignored all that. And uh, eventually they went away. Uh, George ended up moving to uh, another area and uh, got hired in another paper after the damage was done. Uh, Sarah, I don't know what happened to her. Uh, but the, the, the weekender never recovered after. Uh, after I uh, after I was gone and after they were gone, uh, they went through several different people. After that, uh, they did hire one guy who I think did a a, a great job um, as the editor, but it was too little, too late. They had already lost once they did the stolen Valor article. That was the end of the weekend or forever. And they tried to recover from that by hiring maybe something. They I don't know. If that was the, the, the mindset or whatever. They hired somebody who was passionate, like I was, about the EPA scene, was passionate, put out the same type of stories, was really writing these great articles and whatever. Uh, but I don't know if anybody ever read I don't know if they ever found the audience because the audience was gone at that point. Uh, their social media was abysmal. You know, there was barely any of our updates ever. And uh, after that, they, you know, they pushed him out the same way they did me. They fired him one day, uh, even though he had family obligations and things like that that he had to deal with. And I feel bad for him that he went through that because he got the same odd deal I did. Yeah. And uh, and then it just kind of faded away slowly but surely. Uh, they would force people who were already doing stories at the Times Leader to contribute to the weekender to run like the weekender essentially ran without an editor for a while. There was no edit, no credited editor whatsoever. Um, it was like the, the guy who's doing sports was doing uh, album reviews and things like that. And uh, 
you know, I personally never really like, I didn't really follow it. It was just kind of what I heard from other people. And, uh, and it just kind of died off to the point where, uh, I, I checked before our interview, their last update on Facebook was almost a year ago. Uh, was in March of last year. Yeah. So, um, they stopped printing, they stopped updating their social media. And to me, it's, it's kind of like, uh, I, I'm sure you kind of feel the same way. It's like, uh, it's bittersweet. Like you, you miss it because you remember the good times, but you're also like, yeah, you, you guys have this coming. Like, you know, this is a long time coming. Well, I'm, I'm happy it happened now because I mean, I wanted initially when I left and again, I left on my own accord. So like I should have had no animosity whatsoever, but I did because again, I felt like it was a, a girl who did me wrong and I loved her, but I also hated her. But I didn't want anything bad to happen because, you know, there were still people like you and Sarah and all those those people there. And uh, once you were, you were all gone, I'm like, I want that fucking thing to burn. <laughs> I want it to go away. I don't want to have to think about it anymore. I don't want to. I don't. I just I, I know what it was. Yeah. I know what it could be. And I just don't want to see it anymore. Yeah. And we have that now. It's gone. <laughs> so it's over. Right. And you know uh, the it, it's it sucks because um, I feel like I've come a long way since then. Uh, I've done a lot of work that I'm really proud of, uh, and you know we we were doing the open mic up until obviously the pandemic you know stopped that from happening. But we do that twice a year, and it was a big uh, you know uh, we did it kind of as an open mic and a talent contest uh, so we kind of brought in uh, a, a bigger audience from that stuff um, we did a lot of uh, you know more in-depth content uh, we did a lot of you know uh, song premieres and album you know uh, premieres and video premieres and things like that which is a very common thing in uh, modern music journalism and nobody's doing it here for whatever reason. Uh, so finally, that's kind of caught up. And, you know, we're always at least five years behind the times in Northeast PA. So, you know, <laughs> things have finally caught up and, and you know, we're doing that stuff now. I, I see you're, you're doing that with the podcast too, which is great. Um, that's the kind of stuff that these people deserve that are doing this stuff now. And that's kind of why I continue to do what I do because there's so many great artists in the area and I don't feel like they have ever gotten enough credit, even in the, even in the heyday of the weekender and everything else. There's just too many of them doing too much great stuff. I'm glad you said that. And what is it? Cause there's, there's too many of them. There is. There's, there, sounds, there will sounds, always be. And that sounds terrible to say, Oh, there's too many. Cause no, it's not, it's not a bad thing. It's um, and that's one thing. I, that's why I started the uh, the radio show, which was all natives, because yeah. there was so many artists that were not being featured. Mm-hmm. Um, that radio show was not anything new. There was uh, a show before that that was around for many many years, but that show continued to just play the oldies. Yeah, <laughs> it was. It was the yeah. Was, uh, that, that's what it was and that's fine. But, and 
<clears throat> that's a story for another day. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but you know, I, and I, I think it speaks to, you know, it's important to do the stuff that's personal to you. That's satisfying for you. Cause you have a creative itch that you want to scratch that you want to, okay, I love this particular artist and I want to make sure that they get the Royal treatment. They get a great article. They get a great podcast. They get some kind of great, uh, coverage of their particular art because it speaks to me personally. But you also have to branch out and cover the stuff that you might not personally like, but you have to understand that the audience out there likes it. You know, uh, I'm a metalhead. I grew up on metal and punk music. That's what spoke to me. So that's what I love to write about. But I also regularly cover, you know, like rap and hip hop and all kinds of other genres that I don't particularly listen to on a regular basis, but I respect what they do. I listen to them and I hear their stories and I'm like, yeah, you know, you, you are just as passionate as the guy putting out that stuff and you deserve a voice too. You deserve the coverage and you're just not going to get it from the newspapers because they just have given up on that. And whether that's because of ignorance or that's because of financial reasons, that's not for me to say, but, um, they just uh, aren't doing it anymore. So somebody has to step up and do it. And I've seen other uh, sites in the area do it too, which is great. Uh, I don't mind competition, unlike the other guys, uh, unlike the newspapers who, uh, you know, like it's weird. I've been interviewed in the Scranton Times several times. Uh, maybe one or two of those times have actually made print <laughs> because, uh, they don't know how they feel about me. You know, some people there, some editors are like, yeah, sure, whatever. It's some kid with a blog who gives a shit. You know, fucking 37. But yeah, you know, it's some somebody with a blog who gives a shit. Uh, other people are like, they're strict competition and they're here to destroy us as a, as a media company and we must fight them and we must crush them under our boot. Absolutely never give them the time of day. Make sure that no one ever knows that they exist. Uh, because I know for a fact they hated Golakawana existing, even though we were this little fucking uh, weekend paper that could never really truly compete on that level because they were putting on a daily paper in a building full of people. In the same way, I'm doing this from my house. Uh, this is my living room. Uh, my uh, $200 computer upstairs is what everything uh, any PA scene is on uh, and, and a crappy uh, 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 two terabyte uh, jump drive <laughs> is all of any PAC. That's it. That's that's our whole big operation. Uh, I don't have a lot of money. I don't have a lot of resources. I just do it because I love it. And uh, that's all it's ever going to be. But for some reason, there are some people in local media who can't stand that I exist and they want to see me crushed and they want to see me gone. Well, if there was competition, if they were smart, and I don't even know if you would go for this, but if they were smart, they would uh, offer a buyout <laughs> or, or, or not a buyout, but a purchase. And with, that, that's, you know, I've, I've, uh, uh, a few people have said that before. And I've always thought, what, am I, what would I ever say to that? And my response is, you know what? I'll never have to know because it'll never happen. That's the sad thing. Well, I mean, I think what you say is like, yeah, you can, you can. <laughs> you can buy the product and you, you just get lawyers involved and say, okay, but you get, to, sure. I, I am on, I'm on staff. 
yeah. I'm I'm the one who makes the calls. And yeah. if you want to continue to keep the audience, <laughs> you will continue to keep me on board and life yeah. is good. But um yeah, it's funny you say that, you know, people who say, Oh, he's not an, he's not an issue, or then there's people who are like, Oh yes, so he's like he's a thorn in our side. And it's like, well, guess what? And you yeah. mentioned competition. It's it's I think competition is good. And it just it 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 keeps you on your toes. It makes you better every day. Yeah. And uh, it, just, it just makes you you think about things differently. Absolutely. I and and uh, you know there will always be, and I from working in a team at the Weekender, everybody always brought a different perspective. You know, as much as I got along with Sarah, she would come in with a completely different perspective than I had. Uh, same with Amanda, same with you, same with Paul, uh, same with everybody. Everybody had a different idea, a uh, different perspective, and that's all valid and important. And, uh, you know, if I had more resources, I would absolutely be able to do more. But I've just kind of worked with what I have and uh, done the best that I can do. And uh, if that's not good enough, please start your own site, <laughs> start your own podcast, start your own whatever, and see how difficult it truly is. See how uh, local media treats you. Uh, see how um, other people treat you. You know, uh, there are there are even other blogs in the area who are not fans of what I do <laughs> and are supportive of what i do um and and to to them i always say you're welcome to come to me because i will always support you uh i support independent media uh when you launched popco project i couldn't wait to be first in line to do an interview with you to talk about it because uh more people need to be doing this stuff because it's about the mission and the mission is to support the artists, support arts and entertainment in the area to keep uh, those things alive. Because when I first launched it, there was definitely a few comments here and there that were like, any PA scene? What any PA scene? It doesn't exist. There's no right. scene. There's no music scene. There's no art scene. That doesn't exist around here. That's bullshit. And uh, as the months went on, those comments went away. And as the years have gone on, I haven't heard that. I haven't heard that in years. I haven't heard people say that because there's no denying when you publish articles day after day after day, podcasts week after week after week, saying, here's all these people doing all this great stuff. You can't tell me that there's not a scene. And it's maybe maybe it's not the scene you want, but you can create it at any time. You can contribute at any time, and I'm proof of that. Uh, you can you can do what you want to do around here, because frankly, nobody else is going to do it. <laughs> That's true, and uh, I want I want to thank you for always being supportive of of me, what I do, and and I don't think the the Popco project is so much a. Competitor, um, yeah, as much as it is a an attribute or a, 
just an extension of what you're doing. I mean, you've always been a leader in, in what we're doing here in, in an EPA. And um, yeah, I mean, it just, it's, I think we all have to work together to yeah. an extent, you know? And let, let me say a reluctant leader at that. <laughs> Uh, it's, you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, I'm, I'm the kind of guy who, when I first got into music, I go to shows by myself and I still do to this day. Uh, I've never had a lot of friends and friends that I have had are like really close friends. Most of my really good close friends have moved away. Uh, they don't live in any PA. A lot of people move out of this area. So um to this day i go to a lot of stuff by myself but i go to it for the the love of the arts i go to actually see the show i don't go to i, I don't go to get fucking blasted at the bar i go to the bar because i want to see the band play you know that's the kind of that's the kind of thing that i'm into um and i regret that i didn't get into it sooner you know like when i was a teenager and i first started to drive and i you know first got a car when i was in college crappy hand-me-down that broke down all the time it uh i was going to shows in like allentown and philadelphia and whatever else not realizing that like there's an incredible scene right here and that i just never paid attention to um but then when i started to pick up things like the weekend it was like oh wow cool this stuff is happening here there are things here you know in college i happened to meet a band felix sarko that was very influential in my life. And it was like, wow, they're a local band doing this here. And this is something that I would have paid uh, a ridiculous ticket price in Philly to see. And they're right here for $5 at the door <laughs> at you know your local bar. What have I been missing? And then the more that I looked into it, it was like, wow, there is a lot of really cool stuff happening here. So um, I just hope that the people growing up now that don't have a weekend or to tell them where to go, that maybe at some point an EPA scene has turned them on to those types of things. I hope that they've found uh, an article was like, wow, oh cool. I didn't know that there was metal here. I didn't know there was punk here. I didn't know there was hip hop here. I didn't know that there was, you know, folk music here. Whatever the case may be, you know, we we have every genre in this area. And they're it's all good. It's all good. There's very few that I could say like, yeah, okay, that's not the, the best, but they're, they're getting better. A lot of it is like professional quality, great stuff. There's so many great recording studios here. There's so many uh, talented professional people doing incredible work. And it's sad that like uh, the when we do like the the big the big guys like Menzingers, Tiger's Jaw, Title Fight, you know, all those guys or whatever. They're nationally known. They're more known out out there than they are here. If you if I were to walk down this street right now in West Scranton and ask somebody, "Hey, you ever listen to Menzingers? You ever listen to Tigers?" They go, "Who the fuck is that?" <laughs> yeah, you're right. Who who what what are you talking about? I've never <laughs> heard of that. You know, because uh, they only listen to whatever's on mainstream radio or, right. or whatever. They've never given it a shot. But somebody in, you know, I get to this day, like, uh, you know, we interviewed Brianna and Tiger Shaw. Mm-hmm. I, I still get comment, you know, uh, you know, YouTube will tell me every time I get a comment on stuff. And uh, it's 99% of the time it's people from around the country. <laughs> it's never 
somebody from Scranton. Yeah, let's call out Brianna. Brianna, I have emailed you and Ben to try and talk about your new record. I know Rich. Oh, please. Yes. And I know Make Rich it. has been able to get through. Great article. I know you're doing stuff this week. Hit me up. What the hell? Come on. I'm not a nobody. I mean, I'm a nobody, but I'm not a nobody. You've met. You're, 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 we, we've we met have before. pictures. Brianna, we have pictures together. Multiple yeah. pictures together. Yep. Proven it. <laughs> I have them. I will send them to you. Actually, actually, I, so she's like, oh yeah, just, this is when we, we interviewed her for the NPA scene podcast. Yeah. I said, hey, it was, I think my second year anniversary was coming up for the uh, Alt Native show. Yeah. She's like, oh, yeah. I, just, I said, it'd be cool to get a, uh, or maybe it was a year. I forget. It was a year or two years. I said, it'd be great to have like a, a cool, like, you know, annual guest. She's like, oh, yeah. Reach out to me directly at the, the band email. Blah, blah, blah. I did that, did that and she did not respond. And then uh, I tried to get her for the All Natives After Hours podcast for the show at the arena last summer. Yeah. And uh, she did not get back to me. And then I saw her at the show at the <laughs> arena. Yeah. And she's like, oh, yeah, I remember you. What's going on? I said, yeah, I tried to reach out to you. I know you're busy. Like, don't, I mean, like, I'm not trying to, like, be an asshole here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, she's like, oh, my God, no, no. This is, I'm so sorry. Blah, blah, blah. Just, you know, yeah, reach out to us. So I reach out again later on. Like, I think, yeah. I, I don't know if it was, like, the tail end of Alt Natives After Hours or if it was it was the launch of this. I included pictures. I'm like, this is me and you here. This is me and you there. <laughs> <She's>, <laughs> but I guess they got a new publicist, which, oh, uh, okay. yeah, whatever. It's all good. Yeah. I'm well, they're, yeah, they're, on new, they're on a new label now. Uh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a nobody. I get it. I'm not mad about it. It's just yeah. funny to think about. Yeah, you know, it's, uh, but you got to keep trying uh, because uh when I when I had to start the site, I was essentially starting from scratch. You know, like all the that cred of like, oh, I I'm the editor of the Weekender, which has X amount of readers and publishes X amount of papers. Uh, overnight, I went from that to I run this website that nobody knows about again. You yeah. know, I have to start all over again from scratch. But now, uh, you know, we have more social media uh, followers. Then Weekender, Electric City, everybody combined. There you go. Combined. And that was years ago. Yeah. We've surpassed that number since then. Well, so, that was my, my biggest fear doing this was like, I always felt like, okay, well, I've been, I've always had like a, um, a backing uh, person, whether it was like my, my backing was the Weekender or my backing was all the one. I said, how, how do I, can I, can I exist outside of, of those mediums? And I don't know. I don't know the answer to that question. I just, uh, hopefully. You've already answered that question. Uh, yeah. I mean, yeah, I have this. I have, I have, it's, it's, yeah, it's a podcast. It's on Spotify. It's on Apple podcasts. It's on Google podcasts. It's on fucking Stitcher. It's on iHeartMedia. It's on this, that, but like any idiot can do that. And it's cool, right? But like, I also hope people like take it seriously. It 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 will it will continue to grow because 
for every you know couple thousand followers, I'm like, okay, we're on a new we're on a new precipice now, you know, like whatever. And then it just it flatlines for a little while. And but then you know we publish one story that's a big hit and it goes back up again. And that's kind of been the pattern of, over the last few years. It's just you know every few years you're going to put out that one piece of content that's really going to strike with people and it's going to keep going up. But you have to keep doing it and you have to be consistent. And you've been very good about consistently putting stuff out. People get discouraged way too quickly. I think in this day and age, they, they want instant gratification and they feel like, okay, uh, I've done 25 episodes. That should be more than enough. I should have 10,000 followers by now. I don't. Okay. I quit and they move on to something else. Yeah. That's they true. keep real. They keep relaunching and relaunching and really trying new ideas over and over and over again. It's not the way to do it. Uh, stick with what what you're doing, what you're passionate about. People are eventually going to discover that they're going to see you and they're going to see you're a genuine person. And that's really like from a marketing perspective. And not that I've ever been <laughs> clever with that kind of thing, but that's what people want in this day and age. They want genuine sincerity. Um, and you have that already. So you're already 10 steps ahead of whatever Times Leader, Scranton Times, whoever is putting out because they don't have that. They just don't. You know, they can hire some of the best people they want. They just, their name doesn't have that pull anymore. Just like if they were to relaunch the weekend or tomorrow, you're just going to keep carrying that baggage along with you. And so no matter how many times that you put a new face behind it, a new editor, a new whatever behind it, you're still carrying that baggage. You're still, yeah. aren't you the stolen valor people? <laughs> <laughs> you just, they're just never going to get over that. You know, like yeah. that's why they had to kill it. That's yeah. that, but that's the reality. It's a wild world, man. But, <laughs> I'm glad I'm glad you're part of it. I'm glad you're um you're sticking with it. Um it takes a lot of balls. It takes a lot of uh I'm sure sleepless nights, you know, doing what you do, just you know, trying to you know sure. provide great content and a great platform and 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 all that kind of stuff. And you know, I um I, I'm not saying that I'm trying to do what you do because you're, you're much more involved than I am as far as, you know, articles and stories and, and, and kind of encompassing um, a lot. And, and I'm just kind of trying to do an audio uh, slash video kind of component to that. But um, I, I think, I think, like you said, I think, you know, people like us and hopefully we're, we're the future of, the, the media here in, in EPA. I think so. I, I think so. And you just have to stick with it. So, uh, you know, I'm happy to be a part of this. I appreciate you reaching out to me and uh, making me a part of this. And maybe next time we talk uh, down the road at some point, it won't be with that bank, but I am glad to be a part of the series because uh, people who have been listening to this series have probably been getting a lot of the, like the cheery end of it. Yeah. And they maybe haven't been hearing the other, the other part of it, the other really difficult <laughs> part of it. 
that um, that sucked. Yeah. It's, but it's I wouldn't tr- I I wouldn't if I had to do it again. I obviously would have still worked there. <laughs> I've been chasing that steady paycheck ever since, but uh, it's been uh, the the what I got out of it um, was worth it in the long run because it prepared me for what I'm doing now. Because if I had just if I had never gotten that job and I had never done the last those those four years, I any PA scene would have been very different, right. and I don't know if it would have been as good as it is because I wouldn't have had that professional background. No, and you're doing a great job, and I mean, keep keep pushing forward. Um, it's it's unfortunate what happened the weekend. If if I had my way, you know, I'd still be the GM there, and we'd still be rocking and rolling and. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I wanted to, I mean, I, I, you know, we grew up in a, a, a time where our parents, you know, they, they got the gold watches and, and were on the way to retirement from their jobs. Yeah. Or what I hoped for. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's what I wanted too. I mean, that was, I was an intern. I was like, I want to be, I want to be the GM one day. And that's what I strive for. And I was like, right, I got there. I did that. And it was not what I expected it to be. So, it, you know, it, and the world is not like that anymore. It's, it's, you, don't, you don't get the job out of college or the job out of high school and, and work there for 40 years and retire. Yep. That life is not, you know, what we're living in and, and right. this, this day and age. Um, so we just got to keep, keep our heads down, keep doing, doing great jobs and providing people with what they want. And I think, by doing that, we will get to where we need to be. For sure. So I appreciate you taking the time. I appreciate you uh, being honest with the conversation um, and telling the story about the good, bad, and the ugly, because uh, that's what I wanted these weekender files to be. I wanted them to, to, them to talk about all of those things. And you, know, you had mentioned like a lot of them have been good, but there are, there are stories that are, are good, bad, and ugly. And, and yeah. Unfortunately for you, you experienced the whole gamut. So um, <laughs> thanks for thanks for sharing them. I, I'm, I'm kind of I'm, I'm happy that I was along for the ride, and I think that's why I make a good host for these is because like I knew what it was when it was great, and as as a naive intern even, right. and then I knew what it was to be on top and. Being like, wow, this is not what I thought it would be at all because it was just a, a different, different time frame. Right, but it is what it is, and it makes us who we are. And uh, it it could always be worse, right? <laughs> sure. Certainly, so, yeah. So, yeah, Rich, no, I, I appreciate it. Uh, yeah, it's been a it's been a fun trip down memory lane. Yeah, thank you. So, thank you for doing what you do. For uh, with the NEPA scene and for our area, okay. uh, keep pushing through, and um, hopefully, I'll see you at a show sooner than later. I hope so. Uh, I'm I'm really hoping for summer. Yeah, hopefully. So, dude, thanks again. I appreciate your time, and uh, I'll see you soon. All right, all right. See you. Bye.